What number is this, Chip? Episode 84, The Monkey's Guest Appearance Countdown, Jeffrey Sherman talks about his life as an accidental muse, and more. Okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Zilch, a monkey's podcast. I'm one of your hosts today, Sarah Clark, and joining me is my partner in crime and fun trips, Melanie Mitchell. Hi, the cookies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's just not get into that. Anyway, <laughs> no cookies for me today, I promise. It's really an exciting time here at Zilch. We've got a lot of great things coming up. Ken's been naughtily teasing some of it on the Zilch Facebook group recently. But I think the thing I am most excited about is the fact that Melanie and I are getting ready as we record this to pack our bags and go to New York City. New York City? Get a rope. (laughs) You know how to pick up a cue. I also am actually from New York City, so I'm going home. And thank goodness you are, because Christine and I will both be there, and we, she is less of a newbie to the city, but I am, I am pretty much a first-time visitor, other than just a few, you know, brief visits, so I, I'm really looking forward to it. So why are we going to New York City? Well, we're going to New York City to see two shows at the Club 54 Below on the same night. Mickey Dolan's at the first show and Coco Dolan's at the second show. Right. And that will be, if this goes out before that, on Saturday, March 25th at at 54 Below. And I really am looking forward to this show. I didn't get to see it when he performed uh, his little bit Broadway, little bit rock and roll show last year. And it was like one of my only regrets from the year of the monkeys was that I couldn't quite afford to do that show, but I'm really looking forward to getting to see it this year. And it's going to be exciting. And we're going to be doing all kinds of fun things in New York City will be having a lunchtime meetup before the show. You can find out more about that on the meetup group. And I'm really looking forward to seeing both Mickey and Coco. And then we may be doing some further adventures on Sunday. We haven't decided that. Melanie and I and and Christine are sort of talking about the possibility of trying to see if we can find the former site of the Zilch Boutique. I know you're going to be able to find it. Yes, because there may have to be a selfie with those door handles. Fred Velez was very kind to provide us with the address, so we're ready to go. Sweet. Wonderful. Okay. And and I imagine the folks who uh, run that place now, because I think I remember that it's like a convenience store or something now. 
Something like that. Yeah, hopefully hopefully they are understanding about the occasional random monkeys people who come by. and We can tell them that we're doing a podcast about their building and confuse them further. We can tell them that we're a podcast all about unusual door handles. I love it. Oh, man, I think that's what we got to do. <laughs> <laughs> and in other news, on the Zilch Facebook group, we actually got word from a member named Kevin Marhanka. I, I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, saying, so a new show on ABC is using Mary Mary, the Run DMC version, in ads for a show called Imaginary Mary. And it's starring Jenna Elfman. As soon as I saw this, I had to go dig up the promo that he was talking about. And here it is right here for y'all. Mary Hola. is back. Kids, huge step. But don't worry, we'll handle it together. This isn't happening. Just an appetizer. Are you okay? I gotta go. Tuesday, April 4th. Oh my God, you're back. Learning to be a mom. It's scary. Me? Scared of kids? He's on to us. Kick him and run. Is gonna get hairy. Maybe we should get some fro-yo. Yeah. <gasps> Crap, you broke it. Jenna Elfman. Why are you spooning me? And the voice of Rachel Dratch. I like snuggles, Chica. Why you gotta make this weird now? Imaginary Mary. You are full-on mom dancing. Series premiere Tuesday, April 4th. Hey, hey, I'm walking here. On ABC. This seems like such a cute show. It's basically about this woman who is in a relationship with someone who has several kids and she's kind of scared about potentially becoming a stepmom, it seems like, is what's going on. And her old imaginary friend from childhood, Mary, just pops up in her life. And it's like the CGI is totally adorable. And it looks like it's just a cute little show. And even if it weren't for their great taste in music for the promo, I might have to check this out. That's pretty much it on the news. Do we have anything in the monkey's mailbag? Oh, it's it's bulging. Oh, well, well, then we'd better jump right in. There's plenty of room. Actually, there isn't plenty of room. It's bulging. <laughs> P.O. Box 9847. First up, we have a iTunes review, five stars, thank you, from a listener named Stupid Chewbacca. I love that name. They say, I am overjoyed that there is finally a monthly monkeys podcast. I consider myself to be a bit of a monkey scholar, and I didn't think that there was anything new that I could learn about the band. This podcast has proven me wrong. Thanks so much, guys. Keep up the great work. What you've done here is a minor miracle. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> it means a lot to hear this kind of feedback. And, and, and we're glad that we met. I'm glad we met the standards of a monkey scholar. So, hey. And then next up, we have another five-star review from iTunes. Thank you again. Titled Fruit Basket by Ghost of Elvis. And once again, love the name. And thank you for the fruit. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, definitely a good change of pace from the <clears throat> cookies. Um, uh, Ghost of Elvis says, A monkey's podcast! Finally! Ken knows his stuff. Great taste in music. Kiss, Cheap Trick, and the monkeys. Check out all the podcasts. Makes me want to bring them apples, peaches, bananas, and pears. 
I've been told to take a gluten-free diet after last time, so that's... <laughs> please, fruit, yay. And then you were going to take the last one because it was a little bit longer. Yes. This one is from P.D. Pork, and it is titled Mills on Mills, a five-star review. And it starts off, first, it needs to be said how absolutely fantastic Sarah Clark and Melanie Mitchell were. I Aww. hope Ken will take more time off just so he can be thoroughly entertained by these ladies. It's good to know Zilch is in such good and capable hands. The cookie bit was hilarious. See what I did there? Ooh. I'm going to pause. <laughs> this is, I'm pausing for a moment. This is Melanie speaking. And I've got to give credit where credit is due. Sarah wrote that bit with the cookies. She yep. did all the work. All I did was read my lines. <laughs> Back to the review. It is getting a tad boring to talk about Ken and his excellent interviewing techniques. Once again, Mr. Mills, Ken, not Peter, got his guest to really open up and share his passion and enthusiasm for one of his favorite bands, TV shows, and films. The monkeys themselves may be conflicted about whether they are a band or not, or whether they matter or not, but Mills, Peter, not Ken, knows they do. Boy, howdy does he know. With such excellent scholarly texts as The Monkey's Head and the Sixties, along with Roseanne Welch's Why the Monkeys Matter, serve to solidify and bear witness to the band's well-deserved place in pop culture, oh, that word, history. <laughs> I sure hope I got the punctuation right in that. <laughs> Well, thank you, PD. We, we love all of your wonderful reviews. It's good to know that we are doing something that other people enjoy. And now it's time to go to our first segment, which is something I've really been looking forward to sharing with y'all. It's, it's easily one of my favorite things that Melanie's put together over the last few years, which is a countdown of the top 10 guest appearances of the monkeys on other television shows ranging from pre-monkeys time all the way to the present uh, there were five of us on the call there was me and melanie richard walowski roseanne welch and from zilch twitter cindy large and i have to ask what was it like getting us all synced on the schedule oh my god first of all this started on new year's day I was on a holiday with a dear friend down in uh, Virginia Beach, beachfront hotel, but pouring down rain outside and trying to negotiate with all five of us, trying to find a date and a time when all of us could be on the call together. Not to mention the fact that we're both East time zone, Central time zone and Pacific time zone. So the just doing the math on what times of day people was available. It it was a very, very long negotiation with, it involves spreadsheets. I, I actually had spreadsheets. It was very complicated. Yep. But uh, it was worth it. It was a really a lot of fun to do. And so here for the first time is our countdown of the top 10 monkeys guest appearances. Hello again, this is Casey Kasem. This week, America's Top Ten goes to the world-famous Rainbow Room high atop Rockefeller Center in New York City for an exclusive interview with Blondie star Deborah Harry. 
And whatever happened to the monkeys? Where are Mickey, Michael, Peter, and Davy now? And what are they doing? Well, we'll find that out and more during the next 30 minutes on America's Top Ten. Welcome back to The Countdown. I'm not Casey Kasem. No, seriously, I'm not Casey Kasem. I'm not even going to try to pretend to be Casey Kasem. I'm your TV girl, Melanie Mitchell. And Ken foolishly left the keys to the Zilch Clubhouse on the table, so I invited a bunch of friends over to talk television. From sunny California, it's one of the hosts of Skywalking Through Neverland, Richard Woloski. He has actually interviewed James Frawley, and I myself am deeply jealous. Hey, hey, everyone. I, I wish I had a glass of water. Why, are you thirsty? No, I want to see if my neck leaks. That's a, that's a little foreshadowing of what's to come with one of my favorite clips. <laughs> also in sunny, uh, is it sunny in California today? No, it's it very, gloomy, very, very gloomy and cold. Oh, well, I wish it were sunny in California today. Um, this is Roseanne Welsh, author of Why the Monkeys Matter, Teenagers, Television, and American Pop Culture. Roseanne, we have exchanged lots of Facebook comments and even a few emails, but this is the first time we have spoken to each other. Hello. Is that really true? I guess because we've talked so much online, it feels real, because the whole world feels real online these days. It does, yes. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, always to talk monkeys and acting and what their stories are. Well, let me just say this. You wrote a fantastic book, and I am so grateful that you waited until after my book was already published because <laughs> one reason that I let Andrew Hickey talk me into writing that book was because there weren't any books about the monkeys television show. That's how I got my publisher to pay attention. There weren't any <laughs> academic books about the monkeys. And so, oh, well, our books are very different and I'm glad they're both out there now. I am too. I love that they both play on each other and people can read them both and find out a lot of cool information about our guys. Yay. Now I know it's not sunny in Ohio right now because it's dark, but Cindy Large is there and she is one of the managers of the Zilch Twitter account. She tweets, so I don't have to. <laughs> Cindy made her podcast debut in our last holiday special. I'm so glad to have her back. Hi everyone. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. And finally, sitting in the producer's chair and running the board for us tonight, my dear friend Sarah Clark. Sarah and I have been chasing various monkeys around the country for the last 12 months or so. So it's always fun to talk with you. Hi, glad to be here. I am neither running nor bored, but I hope I can keep up with everybody else's wonderful additions today. Well, thank you for handling the technical side of things tonight, because me and technology, uh, not so much. Today's topic comes from the Zilch Facebook group and a member named Jan Helgos Folkerts. He suggested that we should do a discussion of all the times the guys were guests on various television shows. I took that idea over to the Monkey Magic Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash monkey magic, and it turned into a very lively conversation. I had to narrow down the scope just to acting appearances not times the guys were promoting a tour or a new CD or just being interviewed for a documentary. And to keep it manageable, I also limited it to guest appearances. Sorry, folks, that means Circus Boy is not on the list. Neither is Funky Phantom, The Tick, or Television Parts. 
we eventually built up a list of 29 specific TV appearances, and then I put you guys to work. Did you all have fun with the next phase of the operation? I had a great time. I didn't realize there were so many guest appearances by the guys, and, and thank you all for putting this together because it, it really broadened out my monkey horizons. Mm -hmm. I appreciated the fact that I had written yeah. about many of these appearances under the concept of identity construction um, and the chance to really think about how these moments affected their careers pre and post the monkeys is always fascinating to me. So what we did was each of us ranked the list. Remember, there were 29 items on the list. We ranked it from the most significant to the least significant. I didn't try to dictate what criteria we each used for what constitutes significant. And maybe that's why our rankings were all over the place. I didn't notice. <laughs> were, oh, my God. We, we, we are five very different people with very different opinions. But I plugged all the numbers into a spreadsheet because that's the way I roll. I'm an accountant. And I averaged the results, which gave us our top 10, which is what we're going to count down today. But because our rankings really were so incredibly varied, I also asked each panelist to choose one additional appearance to adopt back into the list. So we're going to end up talking about 15 appearances tonight. So we're going to start off with number 10 on our countdown. Roseanne, will you give us a, our start? The year is 1973. The show, Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. The episode, The Camerons Are a Special Clan, in which... The law firm is defending the lead singer of a rock band, played by the clean-cut John Denver, because drugs were found in the glove compartment of his car. One of the band members, Rick Skank, gives troublesome testimony, and we wonder if he's lying to cover his own tracks. Coming in at number 10, here's Mickey Dolenz in Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. Oh, man, I never intended to tell anybody. He was asking me questions, and it just came out. Would you please tell the court if you looked inside the glove compartment, and if so, what you found inside? Oh, no. I found a bottle of caps. You mean capsules? Drug capsules? Yeah. Approximately how many of them, would you say, were in a bottle? I don't know. Well, 50 or so, I guess, is the drug that Dr. Venever testified killed Ruth Ann Cameron. Hey, wait. You heard what he said. He lied to us. He killed her. This is important to me because it's one of a couple of special guests in this episode, and Mickey is taking a lesser part. It's what many singers and former child stars have to do to prove they can actually act when they grow up. They take a smaller part, playing something opposite their known stereotype. So Mickey is reverting to kind of his pre-monkeys drama roles, fighting the identity construction the show forced upon him by being the clown. He's testing if he can be an actor again after the crazed world of all those concert tours. To me, this brings up the Renaissance issues in America, which are best mimicked in his career and in Cher's career, right? She was a TV comic. When she wanted to go do movies, everyone said, no, you're a singer, you can't act. When she won an Oscar for Moonstruck and she wanted to go back on the concert trail, they said, you can't sing, you're an actor. So Mickey had the same thing happen, but he didn't get to move through that um, process as quickly as Cher did. So for me, luckily... We're beginning to accept that, right? Neil Patrick Harris, to me, is the best example of that. He can go from TV kitschy stuff to Broadway success. And we know Mickey did do that eventually, but not as fast as Neil Patrick Harris did because American society didn't catch up with him as fast as he needed it to. So for me, this is why Owen Marshall was number three on my list. It was his chance to try to prove he could do more 
than be Mickey the monkey. There's one thing you didn't mention about this clip, the size of Mickey's hair. <laughs> yeah. This was even before big hair was in fashion. Wow. I think that's the biggest I've ever seen it. This is true. But remember, guys with hair like that are still not the best guys. You know, the monkeys made it okay to have long hair, but not for everybody still. The, the stereotype still existed. I know, but looking back at in, in 2017, wow, that's just <laughs> funny. But Mickey, you go for it. No one can pull it off like Mickey Dolan's. Okay. I was what curious about the fact that although he was playing a different kind of role, he was still involved in music, right? I I yes. have to admit I haven't seen the entire episode. I've just He's a member seen of the it. band. Yes. So he was still living into the uh typecasting a bit. Yes, but not that, as a comic. As as he's a bad guy, he may very well exactly. So he's trying to be more dramatic. What about John Denver? Did he do a lot of acting? He did a oh couple. Oh God! Of movies, but it wasn't his thing. Melanie, is this around the same time that when "Keep Off My Grass" came out, or was recorded at least? Because I know that wasn't uh, released until a few years later. Well, "Keep Off My Grass" was 1971, and Owen Marshall was 1973. So oh, okay, so this years. was a little bit after. Okay, cool. Okay, bringing back to number nine on the countdown, Sin, would you like to introduce number nine? Sure. In 1988, Davy appeared in the send-up of police procedural shows as Jerry Vicuna, the sleazy manager to an obnoxious heavy metal band who ends up the victim of a killer along with the band members. Coming in at number nine, here's Davy Jones and Sledgehammer. I'm throwing a quiet little dinner party over at the house. Now, Rat comes over, uninvited, of course. He beats up half the guests. He insults my wife and kids. He kills the dog, skins the cat, and ruins my entire art collection. What did you do? I told him. Knock it off. I really enjoyed Davy's appearance in this episode, mostly because he wasn't playing the stereotypical cutesy good guy that he normally played in his guest appearances. This character was really arrogant and unprincipled and downright nasty. So it was kind of interesting to see Davy playing that, that kind of part. So that's why I enjoyed watching it so much. Yeah, this was a new one for me, too. And uh, it was just fun getting to see him kind of sink his teeth into that whole, you know, playing against type thing that Roseanne was talking about earlier. Exactly. And do I understand from what you said that he did end up being a victim of the killer? Yes. Stabbed in the back. Of course. Appropriately <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed that clip. Yeah, that's been one of my favorites for years. And I have to admit that I had completely forgotten about that TV show over the course of the decades uh, when it came up in our Facebook conversation. I really embarrassed myself, said I didn't even know there was a show called Sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I wasn't really familiar with this show. And while I was watching the whole episode, I'm thinking, is this a parody? What am I watching yeah. here? Until I realized, wait a minute, is, this is a parody, especially with the funny backstabbing gag. I, yeah, it was kind no of it was kind of it was kind of like a twisted version of Police Squad. Yeah, yeah. Or the Naked Gun. It was something along those lines back in the 80s. Yeah. Okay, well, Casey Kasem doesn't just count down the pop charts. He also gives the number one hits on the country and R&B charts too. 
So here's Richard with the number one hit from the hard-boiled detective list, one of our adopted five. Come on in. For this pick, we have to hop aboard our tubular time machine and travel back to the year 1987. This particular show featured a hardened detective looking to put away the bad guys in his own brutish way. Well, what happens when this detective needs the help from a tech-savvy monkey? Here is Mickey Dolan's and his guest appearance as Scott Warren on the new Mike Hammer in the episode, Deadly Collection. Mike, Mike, wait a minute, wait a minute. But you need me. Look, all right, you got a lot of miles on the clock. Go on, call it experience, that's okay. But I got the background on this case. I got the files, and I have technology. I'll call you the next time my TV breaks down. Look, we both promised to nail whoever killed Randy. I'm working on it. And whoever got him was trying to get me too. We were obviously getting close to something. You want to go back to square one? Now, whether you like it or not, I could be helpful. It was really trippy to hear Mike talking to Mike Hammer and calling him Mike. Uh, I almost wanted to see Stacy Keach wearing the green pom-pom hat instead of his fedora. <laughs> now, I, I picked this particular show because Mickey does show a dramatic stretch to his acting. And I noticed, like we had just said with Owen Marshall, and even Jerry Vicuna character that Davey played and Sledgehammer, they reached, They really wanted to go with the sleazy characters to break out of their squeaky clean monkey personas. And this one here I thought was really funny because Mickey shows a, a dramatic stretch to his acting, playing a sleazy womanizer with an awesome wardrobe. And I'm sure he was channeling his inner baby face character from alias Mickey Dolan's. <laughs> There was also a little bit. Of, there was also a little bit of that um, clip of of Mickey um, doing the glam rock version of "Not Your Stepping Stone" oh, God. when he was. <laughs> That's funny. That's Good funny. Yeah. Back in 1992, I had worked with Mickey Dolenz on a on a movie called Deadfall, where he plays a similar kind of sleazy character named Bart, Bart the hot dog vendor, and it was such a great thrill to work with him. But at the same time, it's like Mickey. This is this is not you. Where's where's Mickey Dolan's? This is you're a th you're a gun-toting thug. I I want the guy with the red button-down shirt. This is not you. Sin, you also ranked this episode very high. What were, what was your what were you reacting to? I remember watching this back when it first aired back in 1987 as a 13-year-old monkeys fan, and I always loved this episode because. You know, as was already stated, Mickey kind of shows more of his dramatic side, but there's still some of the comedy in there, too. Especially Mickey having to sashay down the aisle at the fashion show as one of the models. That was just hilarious. And when he complains about the pants being too big and the lady at the fashion show tells him to take his pants off and he says, excuse me? You know, there's little, there's comedic bits in there too which just makes it a really good acting job from mickey i i just always really enjoyed it the funniest I, part was seeing mickey's portable phone in his whole briefcase that yes. was the whole briefcase yes yes <laughs> the fact that the whole the whole gimmick of this character was that he was a high-tech detective who was using all the latest technology and to see him lugging that portable phone <laughs> not a cell phone a mobile phone in a briefcase Everywhere. <laughs> Pretty <hilarious>. Everywhere. <laughs> True. Um, and actually, because we're talking about how Hollywood works in some ways, it's important to note that John Anderson 
is a producer on the new Mike Hammer. Oh. And he was, in fact, the co-writer of the Frodo's Caper and the assistant director of The oh. Monkees. Um, and here he is essentially hiring his old friend Mickey, and Mickey gave him his first job as a writer. So it's a nice quid pro quo. Oh, cool. Neat. Oh, that's an excellent thing to know. A little monkey nepotism. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that what makes Hollywood go around? <laughs> In a way. More, th more than you know. Yeah. The sad thing. story is that I worked with John Anderson when he co-produced Touched by an Angel, and I never knew at that time what the connection was. Oh, wow. Had no idea, and he never mentioned it. Oh, wow. Okay, moving along to number eight in our countdown. Sarah, will you lead us off on this one? This show on our countdown is from a show with a famous car and four good friends. Of course, this show features a great day, not Mr. Schneider. Here's Davy Jones coming in at number eight from the 1972 Scooby-Doo movie, The Mystery of Hagglethorn Hall. Ooh. What do we do? It beats the heck out of me. I've got it, Davy. You could sing for him. Sing him a song? He's a moat monster, not an agent. They say music soothes the savage beast. But I've never sung for frogs before, just monkeys. Go on, it's worth a try. Okay, here goes. Hagglethorn Hall is an old Scottish castle that was brought to America brick by brick by Sedgwick Jones, the first Earl of Hagglethorn. His heir, Davy, is trying to turn the, the castle into a tourist attraction, but there is a haunted horseman and a moat monster who were scaring people away. And he would have got away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. <laughs> meddling monkey. I love how Davy defeats the Giganta Frog by singing to it during a monkey-type romp. Yeah, it's the power of song, always. <laughs> the power of the romp. Oh, great. So, I wonder if there was some sort of overlap between monkey magic and, and, and Scooby-Doo. They don't quite do magic, but, you know. Well, Scooby-Doo has a profound connection to um, the monkeys, and that is that you can't trust the adults. This is true. It, 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 that That's is... a good point. Yeah. I think there's a little monkey magic in those Scooby snacks. Uh, I was just about to say that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. But... <laughs> so I thought that was more Frodus. <laughs> well, you know. I have a question for you, Sarah. Um, okay. The character that Davy played... How does Davy do playing a son of the uh, English nobility? He's basically playing himself, so... I kind of figured yeah. as much. But he does it very well. He seems to know the part. Well, he was always able to do whatever he needed to do with that, that accent. It got him a lot of... opened a lot of doors for him. Absolutely. Oh, you too much. And now... For a long-distance dedication to the woman who first introduced me to this particular show on YouTube, this is going out to Miss Minnie of Naked Persimmon. It's an obscure 1992 teen sitcom about a couple of crazy kids who just aren't quite ready to commit to each other, featuring a fine and fit Peter Tork in a pair of swim trunks and a decidedly unbuttoned shirt. 
Here's the Grand Surf Guru on California Dreams. There's major wave breakage going on out there, so I'll make this quick. California! You're welcome. We are gathered here to swap two surf souls in an ancient ceremony that predates even the early days of Frankie and Annette. <laughs> Tiffany, Sylvester, you guys solemnly swear to respect one another from the first set in the morning until the last set at night? We do. In wipeouts and low tide till the great tsunami pulls you apart? <laughs> Excellent! Okay, okay, now remember, these vows are not to be taken lightly. Once you've uttered the soul-swapping vows, it's totally uncool to scope other Bettys and Tommies. Is this understood? And I'm sorry, I, I rescued this one from the lower regions of the list because I think it is just too damn funny. If you hadn't, I would have. <laughs> it's horrible, I, but it's horribly wonderful. The show is horrible, but Peter's character is so completely weird. And it's hard to express on, you know, verbally how ridiculous he looks. Yeah. <laughs> totally tubular. Yeah. It, 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 it was, it, it, it basically, it was somebody, I think they were trying to basically do their take on Saved by the Bell, but as a beach show. And yeah, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. I, re I remember when this was on too. And yeah, it was back when a lot of the networks were trying to cash on the whole Saved by the Bell phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So you saw a lot of spinoffs like, you know, copycats like that. And that's essentially what this was is it was supposed to be a copycat of Saved by the Bell. I'm sure I I'm speaking on behalf of Peter Tork, but I was kind of hoping this clip would never see the light of day. <laughs> this is really, really embarrassing as, as Peter plays Grand Surf Guru, who officiates a wedding and does a uh, a surfer accent with a air quotation around surfer accent. I was going to ask, is is that actually sort of a Valley Girl thing he's doing? He, he's trying very, very hard. It he, means he, nothing to anyone. It sounds ridiculous. That's the problem. <laughs> that show, none of the characters seem real. <laughs> That's why I'm saying on Peter's behalf, let's forget this one even exists. <laughs> Um, and a small trivia note, the gentleman whose name escapes me, who wrote the Daydream Believers monkey movie, also wrote the true fake story of the Saved by the Bell cast movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did it also end with their the cast ridiculously singing their own theme song while, no, never mind. I happily never watched it, so I don't <laughs> I've, I've seen part of it, and now so many things suddenly make sense about Daydream Believers. put his fist through a wall. <laughs> there was on-set tension. Really? If your name was Screech, wouldn't you have on-set tension? Yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> okay let's move on to number seven and this one is going to be introduced by richard the monkeys were back on the road again touring the world in 1997 this was also the year the guys made a lot of guest appearances on network tv shows to help promote their tour one in particular is about a teenage witch in this clip we are about to hear davy jones is giving lessons on how to do the monkey walk on the episode titled dante's inferno on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which comes in at number seven. Okay, oh, we got it. One last time. After three, this leg to the left. Got it. It's like line dancing. You ready? One, two, three. 
next to her. That's all right. We, we had this problem with Mickey and Mike, but it all worked out. Are you ready? You ready, ladies? Here, here we go. One more time. Wait a minute. One thing. Who's got their hand on my bum? It's an adorable club, Richard. It really is. I picked this one because it features Davey singing I'll Love You Forever love from you Pool It, an album I think is vastly underrated. And the show's tag includes Davey showing the girls how to do the monkey walk. And they just don't get it. But uh, I love, I want to see the guys stretch and all, stretch their acting ability and all of these bits that we're talking about. But when they make monkey references and do the monkey walk, I'm, I'm all over that. That's one of the reasons why I... I picked this particular episode, and this episode does get an extra bonus point because it's it co-starred Terry Gar from Head as Witch Yenta. So did Davey appear in any other scenes other than that bit at the end when he was singing? I believe he does. I remember seeing it originally, and it had to do with um, Sabrina's doing some kind of spell where the ant gets a spell wrong, and when they open the closet, they wanted somebody else, and Davey came through, and it was because he was the crush of one of the ants in the show so he's in like two other scenes oh okay my favorite part was when he said you know these kinds of things never happen to peter tork <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that dig in there <laughs> however i'm wondering if he and terry gar ever had a scene together in this episode because i couldn't find the whole show so that would that would be that would be interesting yeah they didn't remember. have any scenes together in the film in, in head they were both in head, but they didn't have any scenes together. It's interesting that we have a, a like two different ways of approaching these appearances. Sometimes it's you know going against type, trying to stretch your wings, do something that's completely different. And other times it's playing yourself. I mean, hey, a paycheck's a paycheck, right, Roseanne? <laughs> Sadly, that's true. <laughs> what does that mean, Roseanne? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to make a note later when you see Mickey in later work like the new Mike Hammer. It's also important that actors and writers and directors have to work a certain amount every year in order to keep their health benefits and their pension plan through their union. So friends give friends jobs when you're about to lose your health plan. Wow. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Interesting. Very true. Okay, setting aside the countdown for another moment, we're going to do a long-distance dedication this time to the lovely ladies who still care for all of Davy Jones's horses. This one was rescued from the items that didn't make the top 10 by Cindy, who loves it dearly and went to great lengths to make sure that she could include it in tonight's show. Go ahead, Cindy. In this family-friendly special from 1977, Davy plays Davy Sanders, a jockey who becomes jealous when Penny, a teenage horse trainer, is chosen to race a beautiful racehorse with a bad reputation named Woodhill in the season's opening race. Here's Davy Jones in the Bluegrass Special from Wonderful World of Disney. Hey, congratulations! Congratulations? For what? Well, I read in racing news, you were top jockey at Tijuana. Uh, Tijuana's easy. It's a piece of cake light right here. Sure. You wait till Davy hits the big wheel. Churchill Downs, Belmont. You burn up the whole world, eh, Davy? <laughs> hey, girl. Too bad about the other horse of yours. Other horse? Well, we don't have any other horse, just Margo. She's pretending like she don't know. The rank one. You mean Woodhill? Well, who else? We don't own Woodhill. You don't? Well, good for you, girl. You're lucky. Ain't she lucky? Sure is. She should have seen him at Tijuana, right? <laughs> the last race? Yeah, the last race he was in. He dropped his rider right at the start. 
You know, I've never heard so many people laughing. You know something? It's strange. Now, where did I get the notion that that loser, he belongs to her? Uh, the reason why I chose this appearance, um, I think that this was appearance that was probably near and dear to Davy's heart because it is all about horse racing. Um, he does play a jockey in it. He also kind of stretches his acting wings a little bit because, again, kind of like in Sledgehammer, he starts off as a real jerk in this show. One of the themes that runs throughout this episode is women in, in horse racing. Apparently, during this time, women were just starting to become jockeys. And so the episode discusses a lot about sexism in horse racing. Davy's character tends to put Penny, the trainer, down a lot. He doesn't really call her by her name. He calls her girl. And there is another sequence in this episode where he pretty much tells her that women do not have any place in horse racing. So I'm, I'm thinking he probably based this character on a lot of the things that he saw when he did work in the stables as a jockey and things that he did see. And I'm thinking right around this time was when he was starting to get back into horse racing himself. So I think it's probably the reason why he chose to appear in this episode. And I thought he did a really good job at, with the acting in it. It sounds like it's something that, that needs to be rediscovered. I um, noticed that time-wise... This is the only clip we had anywhere on our list, even the items we're not talking about tonight, that's from the late 70s. Um, we have a number in the early 70s, and then we pick up again in the late 80s. And there was a, a, a yawning chasm where we didn't have anything. Right. It seemed so, like it was a really quiet period for all of them, you know, in their careers. I mean, the, they had the Dolores Jones voice and heart thing going on, but that didn't last all that long. No, that right. didn't take fire. And, and now it's 10 years after their huge celebrity and nothing has matched it. So the careers are in, in a strange and possibly fearful place. They don't know what's going to happen next. Right. So the chance to play a, a jockey in a wonderful world of Disney, was it a, a film? Was it? Two hours or an hour and a half, or was it just an hour? Wonderful, wonderful world at Disney. It was on every Sunday night, and it would I be remember. on for an hour, and it would be a different episode every week. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a little one-hour movie okay. every week. And I'm sure Davey also jumped at the chance to to be in a Disney special because at this time Disney was huge. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So I'm sure it looked like a, a really good step up for him in his career at this time. Oh, yeah, we were all plopped down in front of the TV sets on Sunday at 7 to watch right. Disney. Okay, well, thank you. Let's move on to number six in the countdown. Coming in at number six in today's countdown is a 1992 spoof about a quartet of struggling musicians. Too busy headbanging to put anybody down. Mickey has a featured cameo as a sleazy contest judge. Think of a cross between Nick Trump from your friendly neighborhood kidnappers and Jerry Blavitt from Some Like It Lukewarm. Here's a clip from the Ben Stiller Show, a segment called The Grungies. Hey, guys, I want you to meet Josh Goldsilver, pretentious artist. Hey, I'm a big fan, guys. Love you to pieces. <laughs> Look, I am hip to the whole Seattle coffeehouse slam dance and stage diving schmageggy, huh? What's this guy talking about? <laughs> Let me put it more simply. <laughs> 50 big ones in advance, huh? <laughs> Oh, we get it. We'll be great tonight, Mr. Silver Gold, sir. 
<laughs> it's the perfect monkey's parody. It doesn't matter what role Mickey had in it, that's not the point. The point is, he was there, lending his name and face to bless this perfect spoof. That said, he played the sleazeball extremely well. I don't know how he managed to keep a straight face. I love this clip. I gotta admit, this this is my favorite clip, and it's the, the okay. best parody ever. It, I mean, her, parodies are very hard to come by because <clears> a <throat> lot of writers and directors, they don't respect their source material. But this one here, these these writers, they knew the monkeys right down to yeah. the grungy magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, had, I had never seen this. I had never seen this before, so... Um, this appearance was new to me and I, the entire time I watched it, I couldn't stop laughing because of all the little in jokes. I mean, you could tell that, you know, when they wrote this, they knew the monkeys mm -hmm. and they had all the little, you know, from the stars and the eyes to the whole band contest dilemma to, you know, the Chinese food, you'll just be hungry again in an hour. <laughs> this was somebody yeah. who had clear, you know, this, these were people who had clearly watched monkeys episodes and that's what made it so fun. Yeah, I, I missed it when it originally aired. I, I think I only encountered it uh, two or three years ago, and it's easily the best like send-up of the monkeys that I have, uh, I've ever run across. It's just hilarious. This was even better than the new monkeys. Sorry, Marty. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> we love we you, do, Marty. But... I, I wanted to see more of this of the of the grungies just because with every joke and every scene it just hit perfectly onto the beats of the monkeys episodes even down like I was saying the grungy magic like the mm -hmm. monkey magic mm, yeah <laughs> even having the character named Torque yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mickey once again playing the sleaze ball I'm starting to see a pattern here with these guys <laughs> keep watching it's coming back oh I know I know. <laughs> As long as he doesn't try a surfer accent, we're all good. <laughs> well, that that leads us very interestingly into number five on the countdown. Roseanne? All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's 1965. We're in Peyton Place for three episodes in which lower-class bad boy Kitch Brenner is mad because upper-class nice guy Norman's father recently laid off Kitch's dad. To get revenge, Kitch puts uppers in Norman's drink at a club. In the clip we're about to show you, Norman's older brother, Rodney, played by Ryan O'Neill, confronts Kitch, and they fight. So coming in at number five is my favorite future monkey, Mickey Dolenz, in America's first must-see soap opera, Paid in Place. Daddy Warbucks here. He knows we uh, played around with his kid brother. And he's come here to tell us that, that we're naughty, naughty. He don't look like Daddy Warbucks to me, Kitch. Ah, uh, I think he looks like Superboy. Yeah. Don't you think he looks like Superboy now? With a name like Rodney? Uh, maybe he uses that name to, uh, to fool people. To hide your true identity. Maybe you are Superboy. Let's see if you can fly. This clip is important to me. This part was important to Mickey because it bridged his career years from Circus Boy to the Monkees, and it put him into the game as a no longer child actor. It's interesting that IMDb tells us he was uncredited in this role. I don't know if that's because he was still using Mickey Braddock, and no one's corrected that, because we know he did the monkey's pilot as Braddock. Um, or did his then-agent not negotiate a credit because it was a soap? Some people had issues about appearing in soaps. I'm not sure. Um, it's also cute that this role highlights what Peter always said, 
boys with long hair are clearly the bad boys because Mickey has his long hair and both Rodney and Norman have beautiful 1950s crew cuts, basically. Um, for me, it's very creepy to see Mickey play a very mean, manipulative guy. He's very mean to his girlfriend, and she's very willing to accept it. But it's also fun to see the start of the two major careers because we have Ryan O'Neill and we have Mickey. And this clip also gives me a piece of useless trivia, which is that between my two picks of Owen Marshall and Peyton Place, Mickey has now performed with Farrah Fawcett's two major husbands, Lee Majors and Ryan O'Neill. <laughs> it's a small town after all. Wow. <laughs> Roseanne, what was the character's name that he played on Owen Marshall? Rick Skank. Skank. <laughs> he, was, he was Rick Skank and now he's Kitsch. Kitsch. Letters like that, hard letters mean hard people, right? I mean, names are really important to writers. And so, and, and it's really, Rick is a harsh, tough name, right? He's the tough guy in The Walking Dead. He's the sheriff. So Rick is always a tough guy, sometimes a bad guy. And Skank interests me. That's old Hollywood news. But George Skank was a, is a long-term writer, and his son was also a writer in Hollywood. Um, George Skank, I think, was involved in It's a Wonderful Life. I'd have to double-check. But they're old Hollywood names, so people knew Skank as a, a famous person in Hollywood. I am absolutely fascinated by that clip from uh, all the clips I've seen from Peyton Place. <laughs> um, Mickey is frightening in this yeah. role. He is. Absolutely so. malevolent. And mm -hmm. it's it's interesting that we have to go all the way back to 1965 to see him playing something that it's so incredibly evil. And it, it, it's not something he's been able to do, I think, since then. No stereotype will do that to you. Nobody will believe him as a bad guy now because we've all enjoyed and loved him, loved him for far too long. I'm starting to Sid think that the squeaky clean image was the anomaly, but these guys are really sleazes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I loved I, – I, I had this on a bootleg VHS years ago, mm -hmm. and I was always fascinated with this. I always liked – I was interested in Peyton Place because I had read the novels. Mm. And so finding out that there was an actual TV show, you know, really caught my interest. And seeing Mickey do this role, um, like you said, we've, we've gotten so used to see him as, you know, the cute, funny drummer on the monkeys. This shows that he can really act. Mm -hmm. He has real talent. And, you know, as you said, he's very scary in this and very malevolent, and he just knocks it out of the ballpark. I think it's just a great appearance on his part. One interesting thing I noted about the role is that um, a, a significant plot point in, in this is that he slips, what did you, you say, it was uppers? Uppers, and, and they don't really define yes. it. Clearly, it's something to make yeah. the kids act some, weird. Yeah, some kind of drug into the guy's drink, and of course, that the act of doing that is called slipping him a Mickey. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but in that scene when he's done it, his, his girlfriend notices that he's done it and, mm -hmm. and she tries to confront him. The, the sexual tension and the, vi the, yeah. the potential yeah. violence in that scene is, is really upsetting. I mean, this is. Is 19, this is 1965. It's major drama. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and he, but he carries it well, which mm -hmm. tells me that had he not been saddled with being the sweet, cute guy in the monkeys, he might have been somebody in the 60s and 70s doing, you know, the harder edge sort of films that were coming out. He would have been the Fonz. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he would have been too with with this performance, he would have been too tough to be the yeah. Fonz. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> too scary. Yeah. Then he would have played Arnold. <laughs> pausing the pausing the countdown for a moment to see what's up in other parts of the world. Sarah, what's coming in at number one on the accidental hipster chart? Well, my pick for honorable mention aired in 2014, making it the most recent guest appearance on our list and the only one featuring this particular monkey. It was really a dramatic stretch as he portrayed a father so fantastically wealthy that he bought his son, the mayor, a town called Portlandia. It's hard to say no to him when he wants something. <laughs> what do you mean, it's hard to say no, Dad? Mr. Mayor, did your parents buy the city a 3D printer? They helped a little. A little? We bought in everything here. They're buying everything for you? Huh? So we're going to go to lunch? Or we, we bought the podium, the flags. You bought those flags? We bought him this bridge wow. for his birthday. Who do you think pays for all you this? You bought him the Hawthorne Bridge? Yeah. We take care of everything for him. Mom. That's shocking. That's a, the city is like depending on them. Yes. Well, it's okay. I'm retired. I don't have anything to do. And wow. I want to support my son. And You're a trust fund kid. Portland's a trust fund city. I... Dad, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Well, you don't... don't be such a baby. I'm not a baby, Mom. I'm the mayor, okay? Let's not forget that. Wait. Mayor? Mind your manners. Or maybe you don't want the hospital wing you've been talking about. I don't want anything if you're going to treat me like a baby. How about if you're cut off? Are you cutting him off from the whole city budget? I don't care. I don't care. And now you're having a tantrum. I am not having a tantrum. That's it. Fine. Cut off. You are cut Go off. Go ahead. I don't care. Cut me off. I don't care. No, I don't, I don't care. Don't cut me off. No, 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 no. Listen to me. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. No hospital wing. No more bridges. No more city of Portland. Well, first off, we could not do this segment on monkey's guest appearances without having this in here i i stood firm that this had to be in here but i think it's just a funny bit it it captures so much of nez's quirky humor but he actually brings some humanity to this kind of the the smaller part of the mayor's dad i mean he just it it this is a show that is Tailor made for his, you know, dry wit, and he uh, he just acts like he's been a part of that uh, a part of that cast for years, and it was uh, a fun little bit of him and his son, the mayor, having a fight, and and then they come back together and save the town through the magic of puppetry. It's all kind of complex, but but uh, it, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. I have to wonder: was the role that he was cast in? Influ the fact that he was picked for that role was the fact that he is known to be or have been fabulously wealthy part of the mythic myth that went into making him the right person for this role. Was it an in joke? I, I, I suspect it might have been. After seeing this clip, I, I want to see him act more. Yeah. I thought it was a very good, subtle performance. And mm -hmm. you can tell he is theatrically trained by his movements on the monkeys. This was very, very subtle, and I, I was mesmerized by this. I really was, and uh, more, Mike, more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was one you thing know, I, I enjoyed about this too, was because I hadn't seen this when it was when it first aired. But he's so natural, and he has this really kind of folksy way about him that yeah. it made me wish he had done he had had more acting jobs because he was just so darn good. 
Yeah, well, well, one thing I think that's important to point out is this is 2014. This is peak gazpacho, if you will. And not only was he in a good place, you know, he was in a good place professionally. And I, I, I get the feeling that he kind of just did this for fun and to enjoy himself. He wasn't, it wasn't like some of those uh, clips from, you know, the early 70s where they were trying to uh, reestablish their careers and dealing with typecasting. And I think that also allowed him to be a bit more freer and just, you know, have a good time with it. I think it's safe to say that he did not take this job because he needed to get his health insurance and and retirement (laughs) benefits. (laughs) Good point. Never know. Hollywood's a very tough town. (laughs) Okay. Moving back to number four on the countdown and Sin, you're going to introduce our number four clip. In 1964, Davy appeared on this popular television variety show with the cast of Oliver in his role as the Artful Dodger. On Ed Sullivan, here's Davy Jones in the Oliver cast with I'd Do Anything. Now from Lionel Bart's musical hit Oliver at the Imperial Theater, here are the youngsters of the show and the English star Georgia Brown. So let's have a wonderful hand for it. Gentlemen, treats their ladies. Yeah. How's it go, darling? It's all bowing and hats off. And there's the job. Let it go dangle in the mud, my darling. And I shall go last. No, I shall go. No, last. I shall go last. Ma, let me kill you. I do anything for you, dear. Anything for you, mean everything to me. This one was. It kind of goes without saying why this appearance is so significant. The Beatles appeared on the same show. 73 million people watched this appearance on TV, so it was a huge stepping stone for Davey. He puts on a really great performance as the Artful Dodger. You can see why he was chosen. He's got that charm and the cheekiness that ends up showing up in his role as Davey on the Monkees. Um, One thing I wanted to point out is kind of a little fun fact, too. A lot of people think that this was Davey's first U.S. TV appearance. And it actually wasn't. He appeared on Talent Scouts with Merv Griffin about seven months before this in July 1963 with Georgia Brown, who was his co-star in Oliver and who also uh, was on this Ed Sullivan appearance with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a fun clip, too. I actually um, uh, have it up on my YouTube channel. I did sort of a sort of a viewer's documentary with the uh, Merv Griffin clip. And, and it's just so cute seeing young Davy. Yeah, yeah, he I'm, was adorable. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say it. Davy Jones has got the best singing voice ever. He does. And Prove me, me wrong, anyone. Prove me wrong. No, no. <laughs> I think, this again, this one makes me kind of sad because if we had gotten through that Renaissance nonsense, he should be Neil Patrick Harris. He should have come to TV after Broadway and gone back to Broadway. He could have been in so many of the key musicals that happened in the 70s and 80s. But because there was this attitude that once you did TV, you were a hack, it, it blocked him out of something that should have been his destiny. Yeah. I want to point out that if it weren't for this clip, I'm not sure we would have any record of Davy in that role. True. Right. Mm-hmm. He, was not right. On the cast, he was not on the cast album. Um, that was done by the first person who had the role. 
And the, the movie had a different actor. Because and I'm not aware by then. Yeah. And I'm not aware of any other clips from that. I haven't seen any. So we have captured this one bit of that performance. It's a wonderful song. It's a great scene. Of course, George Brown's doing most of the acting. There's a bit towards the end. And if you haven't noticed it, go back and watch the clip where he does some business with his hat, knocks it off his head and it rolls down his arm and he catches it. And um, I think we see a little echo of that in the pilot, uh, actually not in the pilot, in the uh, screen tests when Mickey and Davey do a scene together and they were doing some business with Davy's hat. I think that was something that he learned for the stage. I have to give a little bit of uh, inside information here. I haven't talked much about how each of us ranked these episodes, but I did my rankings first and I pulled the Ed Sullivan show in at number one. And the next person who sent me the scores was Roseanne and she had it at the bottom. And I was like, oh, no. oh my God. <laughs> Let's go ahead and oh, end no. her call right now. Then. <laughs> Bye, Roseanne. Your turn. How can you be so it mean? We disowned you. I know. It didn't suit the monkeys because it was it was an entirely different person having an entirely different career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were, you were using a different set of criteria for doing your rankings. It had yep. more to do with their professional development. And so it was, you know, the, the fact that we were at opposite ends was not wrong i mean there's no such thing as a wrong opinion but it just showed me that averaging out these five different sets of scores we're going to come up with some very unusual results and the (laughs) truth is we were pretty much in agreement about our number one and kind of in agreement about our number two and then once we get past number two the whole rest of the list we're all over the place (laughs) (laughs) i mean we had like free for all Five different things tied for numbers 12 through 17. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fun of it. Yep. It right. was. It was very interesting watching how, how the list developed. Okay, so let's move on to our number three in the countdown. Richard, what's number three? In this next entry that serves as a monkey's prequel, we see Davy Jones as a future rock star named Roland. What we are about to hear is Roland and his bandmate friends trying to rehearse, but they are more concerned with their image than their music. Some things never change. Here at number three is Davy Jones in the episode Mohill and the Mountains from The Farmer's Daughter. Are we all ready to go? Yep. Okay, ready. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Wait a minute. Did we finally decide how we're going to dress? Yeah. Yellow jumpsuits with a white stripe down the front and red diamonds down the back. No, that was when we were King Cobra and the Rattlers. Uh, well, whatever we wear, it's going to have to be cheap because the fans are going to rip them right off our backs. What about pictures? Yeah, we'll need thousands of them to send out. Um, don't you think we'd better rehearse a song? That's part of it, too, you know. Now, there are so many reasons to pick this clip. Mm-hmm. First... We see mm-hmm. Davey probably, what, months before his monkey's audition, and he even wears the black cap he wore in the pilot audition segment. And earlier in this, in this episode, in this segment, I was foreshadowing this one selection here, and this is where it's going to pay off when I had foreshadowed, going to buy me a dog. And guess what the kid's debut song is going to be? Going to buy me a dog. 
Let's listen that to was... a little bit. Let's listen to a little bit of that. Please. One, two, one, two, three, four. Oh, well, my girl got called me up and told me it's on my face. She could have heard the things she said. You know she hurt my feelings. I'm gonna buy me a dog. Cause I need a friend now. I'm gonna buy me a dog. I could not believe what I was when I was watching this. It's like, wait, are, are they? No, wait, I know this song, but my mind was going, wait a minute, I know this song, but is this? I'm gonna buy me a dog, and it immediately made my list. And boy, when when these kids were done, I I really wanted to see them break out into listen to the band 33 and the Third Revolutions per monkey style. <laughs> I think they could have jammed to that. <laughs> and I, I, just, I really want to know what Davey was thinking a year later when he had to sing this in the studio for the Monkees' debut album. Brilliant. <laughs> One of the things I loved about this particular episode is that the, the young lady in the band, Mo Hill in the Mountains, with a beautiful long ponytail, is played by actress Stacy Maxwell. And we would later see Stacy in the Monkeys episode, Monkey See, Monkey Die, playing the young heiress, Ellie Reynolds. <gasps> so Is that her? Got, that's her, yes. Oh, wow. She <laughs> I missed gone. it, too. <laughs> <laughs> she and Davey had worked together before. I don't know why I didn't look this up, but I'm watching this clip going, where do I know her from? And I don't know why I didn't look it up, but well, I can now, I'm looking at the clip right now. You are so right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, in, in this in this episode, they talk about getting a backer for their first record, and she says that they have an angel, which is what Mickey calls the backer in Monkeys and Manhattan. And I never knew what he was talking about, what Mickey was talking about. But now hearing it on this episode, I guess an angel in Broadway terms means a backer. A money yeah, benefactor. I never knew that. I always wondered why is he calling him an angel. No, I knew that. It was <laughs> wasn't that a, a, a term they used in the producers when they were looking mm-hmm. for for people to back their yeah. play? Mm-hmm. That's where I got it from. Never saw it. <gasps> I know. Please edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> now this episode gets extra bonus points because the title song is by future Shades of Grey and Love Is Only Sleeping songwriters. Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil. And it also gets bonus points for the living room setting in which they record the song uh, Gonna Buy Me a Dog, which is also. Which is also. Drum roll, please. You know, it's where the auditions were taken, were filmed. So Davey felt right at home. You know what? Maybe he never left. <laughs> I'm going to stay here to the audition for the next show. That'll be my shoe in. That's the set where Mike opened up the drawer to see what was inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And next time you're watching The Farmer's Daughter and you're wondering what's in that drawer. See, I've just, I was glad to finally see this uh, this show, not only because it's a a cute episode, but because I'd never seen any of The Farmer's Daughter. I literally only knew of it from... Ness's reference to it in his audition. Yeah. Here, <laughs> me here, me too. Me too. I had to go online and look up to see what the show was about yeah. because I had never heard of it. 
Oh my gosh, then long time later there must be a long conversation because that show comes from a movie that comes from a Swedish novel and movie that has a long story about how much more serious it was in Europe and how watered down the woman's life became when it became an American TV show. She went from a politician to the wife of the farmer. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this show is in the same universe as the monkeys. <laughs> Maybe oh. there's... There's a Davy Jones and a Roland. Well, you know, I was I was a kid in the 60s, admittedly just a baby when this show was on. But I was familiar with an awful lot of sitcoms from the 60s through, you know, afternoon TV and and, uh, and things like that. I had never heard of this show either. And I was alive when it was made. It, it really surprised me that, that there was a 60s sitcom that I could never, possibly have grown up never even hearing about. And really I've heard of, sorry, I've heard of some really obscure sitcoms. <laughs> Is this really considered a sitcom, though? It's not in the same vein as The Monkees or anything like that, or even later on, like Happy Days or Laverne and Shirley. I'd have to say that from that period of time, if it was a thirty-minute show, it was a sitcom. Yeah, it's your Andy Griffith, mm. much mellower, much quieter, much gentler sitcom. Yeah, it's in the father's new father knows best category right. of sitcoms. I guess there's one way to find out. Does it have a laugh track? <laughs> I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't recall. <laughs> I bet it does. I don't either. Well, here's a long-distance dedication to our favorite record producer, Chip Douglas. He had nothing to do with this show, but that hasn't stopped a generation of Monkees fans from being confused. Roseanne? All right, we're in 1972. We're talking about My Three Sons, Season 12, episode 23, called Barbara Lost, even though it has nothing to do with stepmom Barbara. We have John Simpson, the old neighborhood friend of Chip Douglas's, who's now a big rock star. And when he visits the Douglas family, Chip decides to give up his chemical engineering studies and become a rock star, too. You think the family would be against this idea, but Dad Steve says he once dreamed of being a musician and you shouldn't deny your dreams. And stepmom Barbara actually attends a recording session and is impressed by how serious John is to the details of producing music. So here we have, though there is no clip, sadly, because it's been pulled from YouTube, Mickey Dolenz as John Simpson on My Three Sons. Sadly, we don't have a clip to listen to. I'm so sad about that. Nonetheless, tell us more, Roseanne. <laughs> All right, here I like this one and did salvage it from the trash heap because he's the true special guest star actor Still, though, playing a character. He's not Davy playing himself on the Brady Bunch, which is coming up, as we all know. Uh, though Spoiler. This episode hey! was filmed. <laughs> Spoiler! Oh, come on. You all knew it was going to be on the list. It's impossible not to be. That's like not knowing who wins the contest in Sound of Music. Who, who wins in the, in the Sound of Music? How about the Nazis won? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they never win. That's yeah, exactly. true. Thank goodness. Um, anyway, it's nice to note that this Three Sons episode came four months after Davy's time on the Brady Bunch, so you wonder if the producers were looking to capitalize on that sort of publicity. Um, it also puts Mickey back in the sitcom world, where perhaps he was seeing this is the world he was going to live in, and within a year he's going to audition for Happy Days, as we know, and come in second to um, Henry Winkler. It made my top ten list because, to be honest, I like Mickey. I'm a Mickey girl. Um, I remember being really happy as a kid to see him, and I was a kid. Um, I was 11 when this came out. 
But also as an adult, as a TV writer and now a television scholar, I find it interesting that they used him more as a sitcom actor than a musical performer. He didn't sing on the show the way Davy will. He plays a character. And he was selling his, his personality as an actor. Um, but right after this, he's going to start to make the choice that Ron Howard will make after Happy Days, which is, I can't get out of this stereotype. I'm going to go behind the camera. And in fact, as we know with Mickey, he went to another country to become a director. So he re-envisioned his life as an artist. And for me, that's an artist whose career I can really respect. Mm -hmm. I saw this um, episode when it was on YouTube before it got yanked. And yeah. I I was really um, impressed by the, the way he played the, yeah, I'm a rock star, but I'm just the guy next door and I like ketchup on my hot dogs or something like that. Mm -hmm. And there was some, there were some really sweet moments with the little girl in the family who swore she'd never wash her hair again after <laughs> he touched her. Yeah, Dodie, Dodie. <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you, when I heard that Mickey had been a guest on My Three Sons in 1972, I insisted up and down and backwards with the knowledge and certainty that one can only have when one doesn't really know what one is talking about, <laughs> that My Three Sons wasn't around in 1972, and they must have met 1962, because I've always associated My Three Sons with black and white and early 60s. I didn't realize the show had lasted that long. And I can't imagine it was all that popular. I mean, it certainly wasn't at the Brady Bunch level of popularity in 1972. Not by that time, but it had certainly been a long-run, well-performing show. It had switched networks, and that was a big deal back in the day. Uh, and at that point, yeah, they had Beverly Garland come on as the stepmom, and Dodie was invented because the boys had all grown up, so you needed a little child. So it had gone through the same growing pains that the Brady Bunch will eventually go through when they get that little boy, Oliver, right? Because they need a kid again. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> Hi, Robbie. <laughs> Here's a little fun fact about my three sons. Fred McMurray, who plays the dad, had it in his contract where he, they would shoot all of his scenes first. So he would only work like a month out of the whole year. Then they would have to shoot around that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. Boy, that's wow. Hollywood power. <laughs> Oh my God, did he, wow. did he not like working with the other actors or something? <laughs> he just didn't like waking <laughs> no, up at 4 a.m. for more than a month. Exactly. And actually, Kate Jackson will do the same thing when she stars in Scarecrow and Mrs. King. She got it down to one day a week. They had to film around her. So often on that show, um, Mrs. King had a cold and was confined to her bed while she called on the phone and explained how the case should be solved. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. <laughs> Destroying all my illusions. <laughs> oh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. You won't eat sausage ever again. In the episode, The Prince and the Popper, that's not really two Davy Joneses. <gasps> <gasps> I know, no. I know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I went there. <laughs> Returning to the countdown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're down to the final two. And I'd be willing to bet, even if Richard hadn't tipped you off that most of our listeners have a pretty good idea what very significant monkeys guest appearances haven't been mentioned yet i didn't tip anyone off it was Roseanne. number two in the countdown is a beloved family-oriented sitcom and this particular episode involves a dance 
Oh, it's the three monkeys in three unrelated roles on 1995 Rave-On episode of Boy Meets World. Peter as Jedediah, Mickey as Gordy, and Davy Jones as Reg, Reginald Fairfield. Very nice, thank you. <laughs> so, Gordon, Alan Matthews tells me you have a lovely big home with lots of extra bedrooms. <laughs> oh, did he? Well, it's barely a shack compared to Jedediah's place. <laughs> Freestanding guest house. Oh, perfect. You even drive down my street, you're a dead man. Uh, excuse me. I'd just like to tell you that I really liked what I heard. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing. We were just messing around. No, no, no. You guys really got something. I mean, believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Used to manage a band oh, a few years ago. It's a family group. Still got the bus we toured in. Name sounds familiar. Sure, it would be nice to be able to handle a, an act without a mother in it. Well, uh, so call me. You know, you guys could be bigger than the Beatles. Bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> What's really interesting to me about this appearance is that they managed to get all three of them into unrelated roles that two of them had already been on the show previously in these roles. Um, Peter had already played Jedediah and Mickey had already played Gordy and in different episodes. And so they just brought them together again and got Davey on as well in what is a remarkably funny role is a, a moocher who shows up on your doorstep and expects to sleep in your guest bedroom for an undefined period of time. And uh, then they managed to work in a song. Why not? Um, it just, it all worked out, you know, it was all intentionally worked out, but it was a wonderful bit of kismet. I remember watching this when it first aired and I remember it being a very huge deal in the fandom because it was mm -hmm. the first time in ages that all three monkeys had reunited for a guest spot. I mean, it was really, the first, was time, the first since time since the eighties. Yeah. 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 So, it, and it was right before justice came out. So it was, it was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of pre episode buzz. It wasn't just a, you'd happen to tune in in that night and Oh my God. That's Davy Jones. You know, you yeah, knew no, there was, was there was there was buzz about it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I wasn't I even got... really tuned into the Monkeys World at that point. That was sort of my teenage. I'm too cool for them face, but I still managed to hear about it. So yeah, I do recall watching this when it was aired in in what would you say 1995? Five. Yeah, 1995. And I thought it was very trippy to see these three characters play music together not as the monkeys but as characters within the show mm -hmm. and here they are playing my girl like a like a solid unit and it was just it was just great to see these guys up on stage not being the monkeys but they're the monkeys yeah yeah and and extra bonus point for this episode because mickey's got a ponytail <laughs> well another extra bonus was the end when dave madden approached them and tried to yeah tried to uh, get them to sign him up to be their manager and talked about how um, it was nice to try to manage a band that didn't have a mother in it. And he still had the bus from the previous band he managed. <laughs> and when he told them that they would be bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> adorable. It was adorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually the best part of the episode. 
and also the the music, the the two songs they perform, they did a really great job. Oh yeah, I actually, I actually like the second one better. I mean, my girl is real pretty, but not fade away. Yeah, with the harmonica, I really like that bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, well let's uh, see if we can build any suspense at all. It'll <laughs> vibe. I wonder what number one is. <laughs> the family von Trapp. <laughs> I bet it's gonna but be royal flush. If they didn't know that coming in, then they aren't actually Zilch fans. I'm sorry. Or paying attention. <laughs> Sarah, what's number one on the countdown? Number one, look what you've done to me, <laughs> me and my whole world. Okay, that was horrible. Come on, give us a hint. <laughs> Here it is. The show that VH1 pop-up video proved uttered the words Davy Jones more than once a minute. It's the 1971 Brady Bunch episode, Getting Davy Jones. Wouldn't that be something? What? To get him to entertain at our prom. Marsha, guess who's here? Jam, we're in the middle of a very important meeting. What's more important than Davy Jones? He's here! I don't care who's here, we are... Davy Jones! Davy Jones. 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 Not the Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. There are over 2,000 Davy Jones fan clubs. Yeah! Hey, Davy, baby! Don't break your guitar! Davy Jones. Davy Jones. How'd you make out with Davy Jones? Davy Jones. Mr. Jones, Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Mr. Jones. Davy Jones. Mr. Jones. Davy Jones. Star, stage, screen, radio, television, and two boxes. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. I'm president of his fan club. The head of the Department of Sanitation has a fan club. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy Jones. Davy baby. Davy Jones. You're not Davy. You're not Davy Jones. David. Okay, Davy. Davy. Mr. Jones. David. You really come to the prom? Well, there is one little problem. What? Well, I don't have a date. Do you know a girl that'd like to go with me? Do I? Well, how about the flip side? you come up with that statistic <laughs> i watched the pop-up video episode when was, i was a was, teenager was and i and, and, and yeah they had it on they had that episode on pop-up video in the 90s um see before there was youtube there was this uh there was a show called pop-up video where they would run old tv shows and videos and make snarky comments underneath yeah. it you know it kind of like, little fat yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and they they did a pop-up video treatment of that Brady Bunch episode, and they kept a running tally down in the corner of the screen of how many times the name Davy Jones was uttered, and it was, I forget the exact number, but it was like 33, 34, something like that. Yeah, I think I have that pop-up video episode recorded on VHS somewhere. <laughs> pop-up video. Oh. Yes, there you go. The other fact that no one's been able to figure out how they claim this, but when Davy Jones passed away, a couple of the network news um, stations claimed that that was the most rerun episode of television in the history of television. <laughs> huh. I would not I would just that it. show. Yeah. 
Okay. Not just the Brady Bunch, but that particular episode of the Brady Bunch. Well, I mean, Brady Bunch oh. gets rerun a lot. I mean, it's one of those ones that's going to run forever, probably. So, yeah. And it's always in that mix. And yeah. I just thought that was really an interesting fact. And that probably is why Davy was voted the number one teen idol ever, because nobody remembers Bobby Sherman as much. But even if you didn't know the monkeys, you've seen that episode of the Brady Bunch a million times, and you know mm. he was a big teen idol. Well, yeah, and and I was going to actually say that I actually watched, uh, got introduced, it's one of those things about being an 80s kid watching syndicated TV. I started watching the Brady Bunch before I started watching the Monkees because it started coming on when I was like seven or eight. So I actually was introduced to Davey before, and it took actually took a couple of episodes of the Monkees before I like made that connection in my head. And it was interesting sort of watching that like before I was a Monkees fan because it's like, oh, this is just, just this cute, sweet little English guy. And, um, you know, and then kind of learning the whole context of it later. It was sort of one of those early... I don't know, pop culture experiences where you see, uh, you know, an actor, even though it's essentially the same role on, on one show and then another and sort of seeing, you know, but you see the one after before it was before. And, you know, when you think the end of the site, the beginning may arrive and all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> in that, in that thing, yeah. in that vein, Sarah, let me put this to you. Uh -huh. This was made in 1971. The monkey's been off the air for three years now. Yep. It's two years post, well, a year or two post-breakup. And Davey is not a kid anymore. I mean, in this episode, he's very clearly a grown-up. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, I mean, I remember this episode in a similar way that you do. I knew the Brady Bunch before I knew the Monkees. Right. And, and having a sort of, what does she see in him kind of vibe? You know, what is it she's so excited about? I don't get that. And I'm wondering how this episode would have been different if it had been made three years earlier. Ooh, hmm. that's a fascinating idea. I find it also fascinating that it, now how old were you? Because I use a, an analogy when I talk about the original Star Wars. And at the time, the good argument between girlfriends was, were you for Harrison Ford? Were you a Han Solo girl or a Luke hmm. Skywalker girl? And no matter how old you were, um, or how young you were, if you were for Han Solo, you were already mature enough to want the man, not the boy. I was a Princess Leia guy. <laughs> Richard, so was I. Oh. <laughs> you have good taste. I definitely do. <laughs> but to answer your question, Roseanne, I was nine at the time. Okay. <laughs> You know, I, I got to admit, when I first saw this episode when I was a kid, they were saying Davy Jones. But in my head, I'm thinking, wait a minute, that's not that's not Davy Jones of the monkeys. They're not talking about the monkeys, not referring to the yeah. monkeys. And yeah. his his face had lost all the baby fat and had looked a little bit more angular. So I for years, I was under the, the belief that that wasn't the Davy Jones from the monkeys. He sang like Davy Jones, but I just could not put it all together. It wasn't until like. Two years ago when I figured it out. <laughs> finally, finally figured it out. I finally figured out this was the Davy Jones. And of course, that's because they didn't own the name Monkeys. They couldn't perform right, under the name Monkeys. A... And he was yeah. trying to establish himself as a solo singer. And this was his big platform for that song. But, but as a, as a five-year-old, I didn't understand all that. I just oh, wanted the not. Monkeys. 
and it was awesome <laughs> to, to see them uh, come back to this for the Brady Bunch movie. Oh, yeah. Loved oh, it. yeah. And wasn't it that, um, that Davey came back and did the live Brady Bunch? Yes. yes. The stage performance, yes. And that's how he met up with uh, Dave Alexander, who's now part of their backing band. That is correct. Yes. Yeah, Dave told yep. us that story. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Sim? Um, I just remember watching this. I, I mean, I've seen it so many times over the years, so I can't even remember what my thoughts were the first time I saw it when I was a kid. But um, I always enjoyed this one because when I was younger, I was a Davy girl. Um and I think what Roseanne said was right too, because if you were under a certain age, a lot of a lot of the younger, you know, maybe twelve, thirteen, and younger, are more into Davy. And then as we get older, we start kind of branching out towards the other monkeys. Yeah, very true. I think I remember even as a as a kid watching this episode of the Brady Bunch and thinking that doesn't really happen. That's it was just a little bit too far into the mm -hmm. fantasy comes true. Yeah, that I I made me a little uncomfortable. I think because I guess I knew how completely unrealistic it was. And I like my Brady Bunch to be realistic. You know, it's <laughs> there's six kids. Six kids can share one bathroom. You know, it's yeah, you know. I, I used to have higher standards for those sort of, you know, realistic things with celebrity guest hosts. But then Sin and I ran into Peter Tork at a bref breakfast buffet one morning and, and my perspective shifted entirely. <laughs> Did he offer to take you to the pro? Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because when, I remember what, when I watched this episode, when, you know, when you watch this episode when you're younger and you think, oh, you know. He showed up and he took her to the prom. How romantic. And then you're older and you're thinking, okay, how old is he? And yeah. how old is she? And how weird is that? It, it's it does your take on unfortunate was. implications. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, my goodness, where people's brains go. Sometimes older brothers escorted girls to dances because they couldn't get a date. Don Kennedy took his sister. So, you know. Good point. And Mike and Carol were all were all okay with this. Mm -hmm. If Mike and Carol can be fine with it, then it must exactly. be okay. And they Davey are the consummate parents. Mm -hmm. Yes, and Davey was married at the time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> makes it even more scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Seventies. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I didn't know the seventies swung that hard. <laughs> Now you do. Yep. Okay, now that we've completely ruined the Brady Bunch for everyone listening <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about how Carol and Greg Brady once dated. Oh, that's, that is a story. <laughs> but that's another podcast. You'll have to wait. Well, thank you all for listening to this very strange conversation. And if you're curious to see our entire list with the ranking... Um, I will be happy to put that up on the Facebook group, um, the both the Monkey Magic Facebook group and the Zilch Facebook group. Um, I look forward to uh, chatting with you all some other time, and I thank you all for listening. So before we say goodbye, uh, Sin, people can find you on Twitter, correct? What what is the Twitter handle you're using for the for Zilch? You can find us on Twitter at Zilchcast. 
Great. And Roseanne, tell us about your book. Oh, gosh, it's Why the Monkeys Matter. It's all about why the monkeys matter as a television show, uh, because that's my specialty. I have a Facebook page dedicated to the book, and, of course, the book is on Amazon, as all good books are, from McFarland Publishing. Richard, tell us about your podcast. My wife and I host Skywalking Through Neverland, which is a fun-filled and very family-oriented Star Wars and Disney podcast where we talk to the creators and fans and the whole community that makes up the Star Wars universe. And you can find us at skywalkingthroughneverland.com, retrozap.com, or you can look us up on Twitter at SkywalkingPod, or you can reach out to me on Facebook as Richard Woloski, W-O-L-O-S-K-I. And Sarah, what's your other podcast when you're not doing Zilch? Well, I do a couple of things. Uh, first off, I blog from time to time on all things pop culture, but mostly these days various um, monkeys and solo monkeys events and Zilch Nation meetups at fandomlenses.com. I also do a podcast for you librarians out there, and you can learn more about that at betterlibraryleaders.com. And I'm Melanie Mitchell, your TV girl and author of Monkey Magic, a book about a TV show about a band. And I'm wishing you all a very happy evening. Bye. Say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. bye everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> hey, John Boy. I'm Casey Kasem. Till next week, keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. America's Top Ten was brought to you in part by the people in your town who bring you delicious, refreshing Coca-Cola and invite you to have a Coke and a smile. If you have any questions about pop music, jot them down and send them to America's Top Ten, Box 1019, Hollywood, California, 90028. Oh, man, that was such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed putting it together, too. I thank you so much for doing the uh, recording and editing on that segment. Yeah, it was it was neat working in all the different snippets from the episodes. It still amazes me that we were able to get everything except my three songs. Part of the process was asking each of the members of our group to choose a 30-second snippet of that episode for us to use. And that was a fun part of the uh, process as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to see some things that I had not seen and might not ever have seen otherwise. I mean, I'd never seen an episode of The Farmer's Daughter, and getting to check that out was kind of cool. Oh, God. I love that tip. The farmer's daughters, Mo Hill in the mountains. <laughs> yeah, that was epic. And then, of course, I, I nearly drove myself insane in the editing booth at the end, stitching together all. For the record, it is 48 times that the words Davy or Davy Jones are uttered in that Brady Bunch episode. And bravo, bravo to you for doing that edit. edit. That was that was astonished. That was epic. <laughs> it was something, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I hope people enjoyed that. Key listeners to that panel may have noticed that when we were talking about our number two pick, Boy Meets World, we did not really discuss uh, what has since become a very famous anecdote about that Boy Meets World special. In um, fact, I actually stopped the panel and said, okay, let's not talk about the behind the scenes stuff. You because... said. Because. Sorry, go ahead. 
you said, I, I, if I recall right, I'd really rather not talk about it. <laughs> I'd really rather not. <laughs> yes, because we were able to get in contact with and talk with Jeffrey Sherman, a producer of Boy Meets World, who was responsible for writing and putting together the episode Rave On. You may have heard this story, you may have not, but he has a story to tell about the night that three monkeys were on Boy Meets World. We had just this wonderful half-hour conversation with him, not only about all the amazing things that came from that evening, we also talked a fair bit about other things that have happened in his life. He's had a really interesting career, and he has some family members who have had a wonderful career and and lots of songs that you probably know and love. It's another example of some of my favorite interviews we get to do here on Zilch, which are those lifetime Hollywood people who've been in a, a show here or a show there or have been session musicians on something or other who who maybe just are in the background a lot, but who also have really fascinating stories about life in Hollywood. And I hope you really enjoy what Jeffrey has to say, not only about the monkeys, but about the rest of his career. Welcome back to the Zilch Clubhouse. I'm Melanie Mitchell, your TV girl, and I'm here with Sarah Clark. We have a special guest joining us today, a first-generation Monkees fan and a Monkees friend who was both an instigator and a witness to one of the most amazing moments in Monkees history. And it's a moment that many of our listeners may know little or nothing about. If you've seen the episode of Boy Meets World that features three monkeys, you've seen our guest's work. But if your count of monkeys on Boy Meets World tops out at three, you don't know the rest of the story. Mr. Jeffrey Sherman, welcome to Zilch. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're so glad you joined us. Yes, absolutely. It's my pleasure. We're going to start off with a two-part question. What is your professional background? And how did sure. the monkeys first cross your path? Well, the, they first crossed my path, as most people in my generation uh, had the same experience, which is uh, I started hearing their songs on the radio, and then their TV show came on. And, you know, it was the soundtrack of, of uh, my childhood. My, you know, when I'd go to summer camp, I'd go to sleep to to uh, the monkeys. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, loved them forever and, and was a big fan. And later on, um, I did some things in my life. I went to a film school at UCLA and became a screenwriter and a television writer uh, after that and uh, did uh, several movies and uh, television things. But I was working on a, a show called Boy Meets World, as you mentioned, uh, for Disney and uh, Disney and ABC. And I was a, a producer on the show and a writer. And I had met Mickey Dolans of the Monkees um, I was so fanstruck. I grew up in the business. I'll, I'll give you a little background on me that 
might put this in perspective. Uh, my, my father and uncle are the Sherman brothers that wrote a lot of the famous uh, Disney scores and a lot of the songs at Disneyland and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and You're 16, You're Beautiful in Your Mind. So I kind of grew up in the business and not usually phased by meeting a celebrity. But one day my, um, my agent called me and I had this TV idea. He said, my, my other client is, uh, said, are you a fan of the monkeys? I said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, uh, one of my clients is Mickey Dolans. Would you like to meet him? Because he's interested in getting into TV. He's done a lot of work in England and elsewhere. But, you know, he, and I, I was just speechless. I said, I get to meet Mickey Dolans. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember sitting there. I, brought, I was such a fanboy. I brought a, a CD of their greatest hits with me to lunch. And I saw him walking up and I just, I got so nervous and that really never happens to me. And he walked in and he crosses, waves to the agent and shakes my hand and I could hardly speak because I was so fanstruck. And uh, anyway, but he turned out to be the most wonderful guy. And in fact, he's, you know, one of my two best friends in the world to this day. Anyway, so we started talking and we worked on a couple projects. We developed something for the Disney Channel. And Mickey and I have been, you know, working together quite a bit. We write a lot of stuff and we shot some things together. And I was on the on Boy Meets World and I, I I thought, you know, I had to come up with episodes and I thought, what if we could somehow get the monkeys on the show? If I could work it in, because we had, had Mickey on once. And we had Peter on once in, in two different episodes. We needed a, uh, if anybody knows the show, it's uh, we had Topanga. Right. And she's sort of a hippie girl. We named her Topanga. It was sort of my idea to name her Topanga because uh, all my friends that were hippies lived in Topanga Canyon, <laughs> California. But uh, I said, you know, she should have a hippie father for this one episode that we were doing. And I suggested Peter Tork because Mickey had already been on the show. And everybody was excited about that. So Peter came on and he played Topanga's father for a couple of the episodes. And so I'd had Mickey on and I'd met Davey, David, you know, um, at Mickey's house several times and all that. So it was enough that I could kind of ask. But what, what I did was I said to Mickey, uh, I, I said, look, uh, after I cleared it with my with my writing staff, uh, I said, Mickey, if, could I possibly get the four of you guys on Boy Meets World to to appear together? And he said, yeah, good luck with that. But it <laughs> was at that point, it had been been about 10 years almost since they had played together. Really, I think only, I'm not sure if all four of them went out on the tour prior to that, but Mike Nesmith had really sort of fallen out of the, you know, of that group of guys. He he wasn't really that interested in, in, you know, associating himself with the monkeys. He was doing a whole bunch of other things. Mickey warned me about that. But so I called up, uh, I called up Peter. He was all for it. Peter loved being on the show and Mickey was. And then, and, and Davey asked me what he was going to play. And I told him about the character, Reginald Fairfield, who was sort of a freeloading guy who, uh, who bothers the Matthews. And he said, Oh, that sounds perfect to me anyway. So, um, and he loved it. And then I called Mike <laughs> and I did my pitch for Mike and I said, you know, we're doing this and we're the number one kid show in the country and it'd be so much fun. And the other three guys are doing it. And I waited and there was this long pause. <laughs> like, I'm going like, I thought maybe he hung up or I, I don't know what happened. And then he, he said with his Texan drawl, he said, I'd really rather not. <laughs> and, I, and I tried again, but he said, Jeff, I'd really rather not, but thank you. And he hung up. So I went back and I went to my staff and I went to, you know, you have to clear everything through. Not only it was Disney was the uh, 
the parent company over the show, but I also had to pass everything through ABC. And at first they were going, oh, if you only have three of the monkeys, we're not interested. And I explained to them that every time I go anywhere with Mickey, he, to this day, even, he is mobbed. I mean, everybody still recognizes him. They love him. I, I, and again, I've been around, you know, a lot of people, but they have, there's a phenomenon. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, um, you have a fan, you have a fan. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I convinced them to do it and without Mike and I you know, wrote the episode and we developed it. And stop me when I'm going too long here, but uh, actually, Jeff, I'm just going to jump in really sure. briefly here because I yeah. want to set a little, do a little bit of stage setting just to make sure our listeners know we're talking about 1995. Yes. So I think the last time the monkeys had appeared together was 1989. Yes. So okay. it, had been, it had been since then, and they really hadn't. I mean, I saw, you know, Mickey would have a party or a barbecue or something up at his house, and I'd see David there, I'd see Peter. And, you know, and, and, but it wasn't like they were looking to, you know, get back together or anything like that, but it was kind of cool. Cause what I, my staff was a little reluctant cause I'm, I was at the older end of the, the age spectrum of my staff. And a lot of them didn't really understand the monkey phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And I said, guys, this is going to be huge for us. I'm telling you, you know, they're going, Oh, maybe it's passe. Maybe it's this. Well, as soon as we announced that we were going to have the monkeys on the show, we got more publicity. We were on the cover of TV guide magazine. We were the pick of the week. It was a big deal. And wow. all, you know, we were, we were a show that while well, it was the number one kid show on a Friday night, it wasn't like a, even a top 10 show anymore because it just, you know, it's a kid show and it wasn't mainstream. Mm-hmm. Suddenly we were back like in the ratings and entertainment tonight and all the shows were coming by and wanting to interview the guys. And I kind of, I was a little smug about it. I said, see, that's what happens. <laughs> you know, we would, we would recruit audiences for our show and have buses come with people to come sit in the, in the live audience for Boy Meets World. We had people calling for tickets. We had, to, we sold out. All these people came down the night of the show. A bunch of celebrities came down. And everybody wanted to see it because the monkeys hadn't been seen together since 89. And it was all going along great. I had some really fun experiences like walking down Sunset Boulevard with them, with the three guys. And people thought I was Mike Nesmith and something had happened. You know, who's this fat Jewish guy walking with the monkeys? But the night of the show, my friend Harold Bronson, who was the head of uh, Rhino at the time, Harold had done something. I didn't know. He asked me if he could do some photographs backstage with the band. And I said, sure. You know, we set it up so he could do that. And I'm standing around waiting for the show to start. And suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I see this tall, lanky guy with sunglasses and big sideburns walk by, just sort of slip in backstage where the where the monkeys were. And I look through the little window and it's Mike Nesmith. And suddenly, I mean, <laughs> for me, <laughs> it, was, it was like the biggest reunion I'd ever seen. You know, it was amazing. I got like choked up. And I'm looking through the window and I feel this slap on my back. And it was our showrunner, Michael Jacobs, who created Boy Meets World. And he goes, is that Mike Nesmith? I said, yes. He goes, go in there and get him. So this was this was backstage at a green room? Yes. This is the night of the show. We're about to shoot in about half an hour. And he, he goes, go in and get him. And I said, oh, he doesn't want to do it. He said, you're a producer on the show. Go get him. And he pushes me. There were these, these flapping saloon doors and things. And I, I fly into the room. And they're talking. And I kind of overhear Mike. They're all gathered. They're like hugging each other. And it's like they hadn't seen each other. They hadn't been in the same room together, I don't think, for years. Yeah. They all kind of look at me because I'm standing there. But I hear Mike say, to Mickey and to, to the other guys, you know, we should just get a, you know, like a soundstage and try out and see if we still got it. And I'm like, oh, you know, 
I, I'm, I'm like ready to scream like you just did. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> so, and then Mike, Mickey goes, and I'd never met Mike before. And Mickey goes, hey, Jeff, come on over here. This is my buddy, Jeff Sherman. And he introduces me to Mike. I said, Mike, I spoke to you on the phone. And he goes, yeah, that's right. How are you doing? And I said, hey, since you're here, <laughs> uh, you know, we'd love to, you know, have you on the show. He's like looking at me like I'm the biggest idiot. And I said, you know, we just love to have you uh, be on the show and, and you don't even have to say anything. You can just be, you know, and he goes, I'd really rather not. And I went, okay, okay I understand. And, you know, I thought I'd done my due diligence and, I'm, and I went cool and everything. And I wanted to leave them alone because they were talking about reuniting in front of me here. Yeah. So I, I walked back out and Michael Jacobs is there. He goes, did you get him? I said, I said, I said, no, he doesn't want to do it. He goes, nobody wants to do it. Go back in there. And he pushes me backwards into the room. And I go back in and I turn around and I look over at Mike and he knows I'm going to ask him again. And he stands up slowly and he's this tall guy. He's kind of, he can be, he's funny on the show. He can be a little menacing when you, when you get him upset. And uh, so, and he looks at me and he goes, I'd really rather not and i go gotcha and i gave him a thumbs up and i backed out and michael says did you get him i said you go in there and get him <laughs> I just get fired and i just leave well he wasn't on the show but he did take a bunch of pictures uh with uh, they were getting some uh i think platinum albums or something from rhino from all their records that had just been redistributed backstage and so he's not he he I don't think he stayed all the way through the show, but he was there. So if anybody watches that show, it was not only the uh, almost episode with all four monkeys again, but three of them are on it. It's wonderful. The conceit of the episode was that these three guys did not know each other, but in an emergency, they all stepped up to perform for a dance. Right. It was the yeah. it was, if people know the show Boy Meets World, um, the, the two uh, Matthews brothers, uh, Corey and Eric, are planning a rave at school. It's called Rave On, the episode. And it's really Eric's planning the rave, but they find out as they plan this that it's also the night of their parents' anniversary. So they're planning to do an anniversary party and rave on the same night at Chubby's at the local hangout, which, you know, <laughs> it's pretty goofy. And all three guys come in different ways. You know, one's uh, Peter's Topanga's father. Mickey is uh, Alan Matthews, the father's friend. He's helping him install a tub which was my little tribute back to the monkeys when they're in the tub on the street, if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, David comes in and he's uh, an old friend that went on a camping trip with them through Europe after uh, college. And he's just one of these freeloading guys that won't leave, the guests that won't leave. And when what happens is they've hired a band to play at this anniversary party rave. I know it's kind of silly, but hey, I'm talking to a monkeys fan, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, the band doesn't show up. So independently, the three guys go up and, and decide to play. And it's, of course, it's, you know, it's the monkeys playing. Of and course, you said in your story that uh, as I read it, that uh, the music that they performed, they actually did record the, the instrumental that like the day before ahead of time. So it yeah. is them. It is them performing. It's them performing. I think they sang live. But what we did was. It was, I mean, for a Monkees fan, and I'm, I'm with everybody that, that's on your site, I'm, I'm the same way. Um, I, I We decided we had to pre-record the music because you can't really play live. It never sounds great, and I didn't want them to sound bad. So what we did was um, we went into a recording studio. So I went into a recording studio with the three Monkees and our music director, Ray Colcord, who passed away a couple years ago now. 
And we went in and I watched them and they all played and sang and they were, they were just incredible. And it was funny too, because I remember Ray was going, I don't think they really play, so we should get some other, we had some other musicians that played some of the other instruments, but but uh, the guys all played and Peter's amazing. Peter can play everything. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think he can play a, a, a toothbrush and make it sound good. <laughs> Um, Every, everything but he can't play the harp right that's right yeah so uh, but it was just one, i mean I, I i was somebody took documentary footage of it and i'd love to find it sometime but it's me and i remember I, I seriously was like pinching myself going i'm at a monkey's recording session this is the most amazing thing <laughs> so it's fun and and uh you know they didn't want to sing monkey songs. Mickey said, you can't afford to have us do monkey songs. <laughs> That's, you know, just the way it goes. So they did uh, a couple of, uh, like, standards. And one of them was My Girl. And they were supposed to be the parents' uh, songs from their, you know, the song they... Their know, anniversary, yeah. Their anniversary song. So it was just a wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, from that, what happened was Mickey called me a couple weeks later after the show. And he said... Hey, Jeff, come down to Billboard Live, which is this club on the Sunset Strip, and be there by 8 o'clock. Don't be late. Your name will be at the door. You can bring one guest, but don't tell anybody, and it's going to be really cool. And I said, what's going on? He said, I can't tell you. So I went down, and all these people were there. Little Richard was there, and Kevin Costner, and Brandon Tartikoff, who at the time was the head of NBC. And all these like big wigs were there, so I knew something was going on. Suddenly the lights go down, and all four monkeys come out and played live which was just amazing. And they announced they, they'd been playing, they'd been practicing and they sounded great. It was sort of their trial run to see if they wanted to do the next step, which was a couple of weeks after that, Mickey called me and said, come down to the Hard Rock Cafe near Beverly Hills and, and be there. And I, I, I learned not to ask him what was going on. I just, <laughs> just trust him. Yeah. It's all, it's jammed with, with reporters. And I mean, just the biggest, I mean, people are trying to look in, they blacked out the windows so nobody can see in. And the four monkeys are there. And they took that moment to announce their, their reunion tour and the four of them were going to go on the road. So I kind of feel not that it was my doing, but I was, I was a little corner of that reunion tour and that I got them all to be on the show and be in the same room at the same time. It was just, you know, just wonderful. And, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, something that's one of the highlights of my life. Oh, wow. That is amazing. You, and you really were kind of that first link in the chain. <laughs> Well, it's weird, you know, it's like I'm also the inspiration for the song Spoonful of Sugar. That, but oh, I yeah. I just I just do dumb things and it turns out to be, you know, some smarter genius figures it out and it's kismet that I happen to be there. So <laughs> you have to explain that now. <laughs> oh, the spoonful of sugar? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and tell oh. that story. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, my, my grandfather, Al Sherman, was a Tin Pan Alley songwriter. And he wrote songs like it's it's funny, today's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you can say that because you're... Uh, it's okay. I'm recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. There, yep. we said it. The song that you hear all the time, the song, You Gotta Be a Football Hero. My grandfather wrote that. He was a Russian immigrant. And uh, he wrote all Americana songs. A bunch of his songs were famous kind of, you know, uh, American songbook songs. And he gave rise to my dad and uncle, who were the Sherman brothers, who Disney hired um, after they'd written some songs for Annette Funicello to come over to the studios, his first and only staff songwriters at the studio. So they wrote things like It's a Small World After All, and they wrote, you know, Jungle Book, Winnie the Pooh, uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, The Happiest Millionaire, like I think 40 movies at Disney. Yeah. 
and uh, another, you know, probably 15 elsewhere. So when my dad was doing uh, Mary Poppins, it was one of the first things they had received. I, I did a documentary called uh, The Boys, the Sherman Brothers Story with my cousin about our dads, and we tell this story in it. My dad had written all the songs, and if you saw Saving Mr. Banks, my dad is one of those two songwriters in that. Right. Uh, the, the guy with the cane nod at the piano, that's how I always describe it. Yeah. Uh, but he, uh, he had, they'd written all the songs, and they saw Julie Andrews on the Ed Sullivan show, and she was doing Camelot at the time on, on the Broadway stage. And they were looking for Mary Poppins and they both called up Disney and he went out and hired her and said, please come out. I'd like to have you consider playing Mary Poppins. So she came out and they had a session where my dad and uncle played all the songs for her and her husband, uh, Tony, then husband, Tony Walton. And um, they played all of them. She loved all the songs. Their favorite song was a song called um, Through the Eyes of Love. And you don't know that song from Mary Poppins because <laughs> Julie didn't like the song. She said, it's an okay song, but I don't think it sounds like Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. And they were really upset because they championed Julie Andrews. And so uh, my dad came home all depressed and they were trying to think of some kind of like a slogan, like a stitch in time saves nine, or they couldn't think of anything that was sounding good to them. Consequently, I was a little boy. I was, I don't even know how old I was, probably like five. And uh, at school, they were giving us the um, polio vaccine. Right. And I was famous because I was a big kid. I was famous or infamous at my doctor's office because they used to, I don't know if they still do this with kids. They used to bring in this tray with a whole bunch of hypodermic needles and give you all your shots. And I was scared of needles. So I would hit the tray over and run out and hide in the neighborhood. So when I came home from school, I was surprised because my dad usually got home about 5.30 or 6 o'clock, and he was home right after school, like at 3.30, and the lights were off, and and he was just sort of sitting there depressed. And I, it was the day that Julie Andrews had turned down his favorite song he'd written. Mm -hmm. So I came in, and he said, how was your day? I said, well, I got the uh, polio vaccine at school. He said, you let somebody give you a shot? And I said, no, no, no. They, they had this plastic spoon. They put a sugar cube on it. They dropped the medicine, and I ate it. And he looked at me and with this look like beyond me and he started nodding his head and he, he walked over to the phone and he called Dick. He said, I've got it. And they went back to the office and they wrote just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down <laughs> so, and, and in the story. But all I did was eat a, you know, medicine and a sugar cube really <laughs> to do with that magic. But uh, those are my little two, my little two uh, pieces of, of, uh, adjacent fame i guess there you go wow that's actually my favorite sequence in that entire movie yeah mm. is that cleaning up the um, mm -hmm. the nursery with that yes. song yeah and the little blue bird that sits on her finger and whistles with her yeah. Yeah, i love that sequence yeah it's great cool. stuff wonderful but yeah and and i also would recommend saving mr banks to anybody who has not seen that film because it is quite good yes I have also seen The Boys, and it's an amazing film, a documentary about those two amazing songwriters, and I recommend it to our listeners. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a labor of love. My cousin and I just decided that, you know, my dad was getting older. His dad's still around. I just had lunch with him last week, my Uncle Dick, Richard Sherman, uh -huh. and uh, he's like a little, I said, you're so immature. He's like, he's 90 years old almost. He's 89. 
And he still drives himself and goes around and plays things. He's going to England to work on the new Mary Poppins movie. Oh, wow. He's just, you know, my dad passed away in 2012. But we, we had, you know, we were, we were, Greg and I really wanted to write a, uh, a scripted film about our, our dads, like, you know, like Ray or something like that, or, you know, um, but we couldn't sell it because our dads were so humble that they didn't really, you know, a lot of, Elton John, you know, it's an Elton John song, but the Sherman Brothers, unless you're a big fan, you probably wouldn't know that they wrote it. So we uh, decided to, around the opening of Mary Poppins, we decided to take two camera crews. And again, our dads hadn't seen each other. They, they didn't get along very well uh, in, in private life. And so my dad had moved, my mom passed away and my dad moved to England. And my dad and uncle hadn't seen each other in three years and talked only a couple times. So at the opening of Mary Poppins on Broadway, we each took a camera crew and led up to the moment where our dads met up outside the theater to see what would happen. And then we ended up shooting a whole uh, feature documentary around it. And it's, it's, uh, it, was, it was a lovely experience because I got to know my dad better than I think most kids get to know their parents. What is it about you and long lost reunions? <laughs> it's, it's, you. it's funny. <laughs> I, I, well, you know what? It's, I think you learn about yourself in those reunions, at least in your personal reunions. I think that you you, you learn things because you'll, you'll harbor feelings or, you know, whatever. And when you get together, that all goes away. And it's you. My grandfather once said to me, you know, when you take pictures for a photo album, you always smile. So your memories are all smiles. Mm-hmm. It's lovely for me. And it kind of makes me understand myself and where I've gone in my journey. I think we forget day to day where we've gone. And, uh, you know, when you can kind of look back and, and even I, like this past week, I caught up. I'm, I'm friends with uh, Donna Reed's daughter. I don't know if you remember the Donna Reed show. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I, I was friends with Mary, her daughter, when I was a little kid. And I hadn't seen her in years. And I saw her on Facebook. And we got together. And it was just so wonderful to kind of, you know, figure out where you've gone and hear the journey that we've each gone on. And I, I love I love those things. I think it's just, uh, you know, as and from a writer, standpoint, mostly a writer, I produce and direct and write music, too. But, but you know, I guess at the heart of me, I'm a writer. And there's something about it that really uh, helps you understand people and 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 it helps your work too and helps your understanding and makes you a better human I think. Yeah, very true. And and you kind of got on the radar of uh Monkeys fans through this story when you shared it. I think it was was it in a blog post back in 2012. I just remember that that link was making the rounds and kind of went viral in our little corner of the internet. Well, what happened was um I wrote that story that I told you at the beginning about, about mm-hmm. remember Jones. And I, I'd always thought it was just such a funny story. It just went on and on. It was just crazy. Yeah. Um, so um, when he passed away and it was so unexpected, I mean, you know, he was, he was really mm-hmm. like, not the one you would have thought, you know, <laughs> he was just, he was very youthful. It was a little shocking and it made me think back on all that. And I wrote it and I just put it up on Facebook and a fellow I know that writes for the Huffington post um, saw it and asked me if, if, if the Huffington Post could republish it. So it went on the Huffington Post and it became kind of viral, I guess. Yeah. That's how that evolved. Wow. What sort of reaction have you had from, from Monkeys fans? Have you heard from, I mean, hopefully you've oh, heard from more than just me. <laughs> people, people love it. You know, I, I, I'm, again, I'm, I do, when Mickey's in town, when he's not touring the world, like last year, yeah. uh, I see him quite a bit. And, uh, you know, people, he'll say, Jeff wrote that episode and people, oh, I love that. You know, it was kind of fun for people to see them again. And it kind of, you know, in the same way that, that uh, 
I think the boys kind of rekindled an interest in my dad and uncle. You know, I think that just when you see them together, each guy is wonderful in, in the monkeys, but when you see them together, there is really just that there was all four of them together. There was a dynamic that was just incredible. Yeah. They just came, you know, they, they became those guys could, my dad and uncle had the same thing. It's like a shorthand in a way. And when my dad and uncle would talk, I, I sat with them. I did a show when the Disney Channel first started, and I hired my dad and uncle to write songs for it. And I mostly did it because I wanted to see their process, and I wanted to be in the room when they were writing songs. Because I'd, I'd been in recording studios and on sound stages, but I'd never seen them write a song. So I got to go in there, and it's, it was the strangest experience because they would say things like, my uncle would play something on the piano, and my dad would go, 1945. He goes, you're right. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, that's 53. And they, they just had this weird shorthand about them and the monkeys in the same way had that same chemistry you know put two of them together three of them together and you know you can't do four of them anymore unfortunately but you know even like if anybody went to that the 50th anniversary tour which i did at the pantages when it was out here um it's it's there's a magic that just you know Mm -hmm. hard to hard to describe what it is and especially since you know the or the the origin of the monkeys was so kind of contrived in a way it was like they were trying to make the kind of the american monkeys and the marx brothers and mm-hmm. i mean the american beatles and the, and the marx yeah. brothers but they really gelled as a band and as a comedy troupe you know i i uh I, you know the the shows still hold up they're so funny and mm-hmm. and that's just really i mean there were writers and there were directors but it's something about those four guys together it was just super it was beyond any part of it and i think they all knew that too that's amazing. And I agree totally with what you, you, you were saying about their chemistry. It's just because I've gotten to see them, the th- three of them, um, Mike, Mickey and Peter together. And you're right. It's just like nothing you would imagine. It, it, you have to experience it. Uh, you mentioned Pantages. Have you had a chance to go to any of their other shows recently? Uh, I, you know, I go to Mickey's shows when he plays his, his solo gigs. He does mm-hmm. a lot of. Yeah, I love um, his I, solo I, shows. I've been to every, every time they've come through town on tour, I've gone to those. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen them every place. Yeah. I, I don't want to brag, but I was in the recording session with them, which was just, you know, I just, I loved that experience. Was that back in the Justice era or is that recently for good times? The, it, was the, it was the Boy Meets World uh, right. experience. Yeah. Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay. Which, was, which was just, you know, it's, there's something about, again, you know, I grew up with my dad. I, I was in recording sessions with John Williams and with, you know, amazing, amazing things. I'm writing a book about some of these things right now. But uh, something about being there, when the monkeys started playing, it was just so beyond exciting. It's just like I, I, the little boy in me just went like, this is the coolest thing. And what I love about them, too, is... You know, a lot of these bands, you go and you're disappointed because, uh, you know, they don't sound as good as they used to. They sound better than that. Yeah. You know, I think that Good Times album is, is probably their best album. I I, I love the, the early ones, too. Mm-hmm. But it was so, I mean, so contagious. And I listened to it over and over. And Mickey called me up and he said, so what song is your favorite on the album? I said, I don't listen to just a song. I listen to the whole album from beginning to end like I did as a kid. And that's something that I think is a lost art. You know, people buy singles yeah. and they don't really listen to the whole thing. It was such a well-conceived and, and produced album. Um, and Nicky just, you know, he still takes voice lessons. He still, you know, takes, you know, he plays guitar. He's everything, you know, and drums. You know, they're, they're consummate 
musicians and uh you know there was that backlash against them for not being a real band but you know i happen to know firsthand that everybody that played on the monkeys albums in the old days also played on crosby stills and nash mm-hmm. the Beach Boys, and everybody else you know so um that was you know it's just an unfortunate thing they they were sort of saddled with but uh, excellent musicians and i think they've proved that ever since and you were there at the start of the the just us yeah. sessions yeah. you know when, when it was about to start that you were there right yeah. and such uh, an amazing story it, it was really fun and I, I i i can't even describe going back to that moment for a minute when i heard mike saying we should get a studio space and see if we still got it and i just remember thinking i can't believe i'm witnessing this mm-hmm. i mean it was just I, I can still picture it. It was just a, a, a the coolest moment. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Do you have any uh, current projects you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, where can they find you and your work? Sure. Well, I'm you know I'm, I don't really do a lot of the social network stuff. I do, I am on Facebook um, under Jeff Sherman, and you can find me. I have actually the cool thing is, as I mentioned, I'm also a songwriter and, a, and I'm very into music and. I never really pursued it professionally much. I wrote some songs for Boy Meets World and I, you know, I'd slip things in, but it wasn't really a main thing. But I found that, you know, in the time I've got left in this business, I wanted to kind of explore more musical things. And I have been writing a lot of musical things. Um, I've been working with a lot of kind of really cool people lately. Uh, I work with a country singer named Shelly Wright and Shelly and I, are writing a musical right now, an animated musical. And uh, we, we wrote one prior um, that didn't go beyond the, uh, somebody stole it, but I can't get into it. <laughs> um, I can't get into that one. But um, but uh, we were working with Kristen Chenoweth and Kristen worked on this one with us too. She's a, we were partners on that last one. Um, and I'm working with Vicki Peterson um, on a musical which uh, Vicky is the founder of the Bangles and the lead guitarist and singer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I have a, a very big project going right now based on a script I wrote. I can't really talk about it because we're negotiating it, but I'll tell you that I'm going to be working with Linda Perry, who's one of the biggest um, songwriters in the business. She works with all the major names, Adele and Christina Aguilera and uh, yeah, Miley Cyrus and everybody else. And she's going to be writing songs for this project I'm doing and directing. So those are the main things. Then I'm writing a book, as I mentioned, right. which is sort of memoirs of my zealot life. My <laughs> all these all these little stories. These are the kind of stories that are in there. I worked with Madonna once, and I worked with you know some some of these kind of the Osmonds, and you know there, there's some fun stories in there. But um, so those are the main things I'm doing right now. Well, I, I hope you'll keep the, the Zilch folks uh, informed when things become a little bit more finalized. Uh, we'd love to help you spread the word. Yeah, Absolutely. we'd love to have you back when your book's out or any other anything else you want to plug on here. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back. Yeah, wonderful. And by the way, um, I, to, I, went, I went hiking with Mickey the other day, and I told him I was going to be on, and he said to say hi to all the Zilch uh, people mm-hmm. and all the Monkey's fans. So uh, he was touched. He was Wow. Yeah, I was going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he hasn't been a guest on Zilch yet, but we're going to have to work on that. Yes, yeah. if 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 you're listening, Mickey, we'd love to have you, <laughs> and you can <laughs> you can check with Peter. We promise we 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 don't bite. <laughs> you can check with Coco. You can check with Dave. You yeah. can check with John. <laughs> you can check with Rich. <laughs> 
he's he's like my dad in a lot of ways. He's sort of a Renaissance man, and yeah. he paints and and writes and does all sorts of things. So he's a very interesting guy. Very really is a wonderful friend. I'm very blessed to have him as a friend. Yeah, I could see yeah, that. Finally, finally, you can't leave without getting the standard zilch questions. Um, you're a monkeys fan all the way back, so do you have a favorite monkeys album? Well, you know, I'm going to go on a limb here, out on a limb, and I'm going to, you know, I love all of them, but I love Good Times. I, I just thought it was, it just was so much fun, and uh, I, you know, it's, it has that contemporary feel to it, but it's also that classic monkeys feel. So, yeah, I, I love that. I love that album. You said you had trouble picking a single song from Good Times, so you're not. Are you going to pass on the question of is there a favorite Monkeys song? Well, I'll tell you my favorite Monkeys song. I would, I guess, I'd have to say is I'm a believer because I just, I think I wore out. You know, I used to buy singles when you bought singles, and we had a jukebox, and I had to get three of them because I wore them out with the needle on that thing. So I'm a believer is probably my favorite. Um, but but I, I love a lot, you know, it's, it's so hard. People ask me on my, on my dad's songs too, like, what's your favorite? I mean, how do you choose? I don't know. Yeah. And is there a favorite monkeys episode? Yeah. Well, you know, the one I love is I, I love them all, but I love the last episode, the, the Frodo's caper. Ooh. Just Mickey wrote it and co-wrote it and directed it. And all the stories I've heard from Mickey about the crazy, I mean, you know, when you think about it, uh, when I was working on Boy Meets World, we did 23 episodes on a big year. Usually it was 21, mm-hmm. usually, sometimes 22, but that that was the order. They did what, something like 32 or 33, 34 episodes a year. And they were recording all those songs and they were shooting their own commercials and they were touring and they were making public appearances and all this stuff that they were doing. And they just lived and breathed this for an intensive two years. And that episode was, you know, the final episode of the series. And it's so interesting because the, the show evolved from kind of like, you know, Davey's, uh, you know, going to fall in love with another girl and they're going to sing a song and, the you know, they're not going to get famous. And, and it was kind of falling into that. And this was so experimental and not as dark as Head. You know, dark, yeah. it was like, Head was a bit of a dark piece, but just that kind of crazy like somewhere between like uh, Monty Python and Benny Hill feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just so wonderful how Mickey got all that going. And, you know, and the, and the, uh, the big, obviously marijuana plant from outer space. I thought that was pretty funny. They put that on a TV, but I, <laughs> I, thought, I call it the expository house plant. <laughs> there you go. But you know, th- something about that was just so wonderful and uh, the whole pace of it and the whole everything and, and knowing that he'd been going through all that and then still is, and then said, Hey, I want to write and direct an episode. That, that to me is when you've been in those things and you see that and to have the clarity to do that, I think that's pretty cool. So that, that would probably be my favorite if I had to choose one. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was a, a great honor for us. And for me. Yeah. Um, we just completed a panel discussion about the various times that the monkeys appeared as guest stars on other TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I will have to let you, we did it in the form of a countdown. We took a vote. The three guys appearing on Boy Meets World came in at number two. Two? Okay. I'm sorry, but the Brady Bunch beat you. It was close. Of course it, of course it, did. Of course it did. Yes, you lost out to Davey on the Brady Bunch taking Marsha to the prom. Hey, that, 
Beyond being number two is pretty darn good, I have to say. <laughs> think think of it as headquarters being behind Sergeant Pepper the entire summer of nineteen sixty seven. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. That's really nice. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time to get today and uh, for sharing all of your wonderful stories about the monkeys and just your life in Hollywood. If you'd like to stop by the Zilch Facebook group, and I'm sure there's going to be some comments once this uh, episode goes up, people will want to, to say hello to you. So you know, feel free to, to pay us a visit. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. Love to, I'd love to be there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake. A lark, a spree, it's very clear to see that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way. A robin feathering his I am so glad that Jeff Sherman agreed to be a guest on Zilch. It was such a thrill when he answered my private message on Facebook and, and agreed. To, to do the interview and the fact that we were able to do it in conjunction with our guest star appearance countdown is just perfect kismet and so what a thrill for me I'm just so happy yeah it, it, and it was just a wonderful conversation I loved all the stories he had to tell both about his experiences on Boy Meets World and oh man what an amazing story especially mm. as a first generation fan to get to experience that and to see that ah and I can't recommend the uh, film The Boys enough oh if yes if you would have any interest in in Disney or Mary Poppins or just songwriting in general it's a wonderful story the career those two men had it's just definitely worth getting and it is available on amazon so so go get it yep i'm flying up to new york city here in a couple days and my plan is to basically put a double feature on my computer of saving mr banks and the boys and i'm really looking forward to it mm -hmm. yeah Okay, I think we're about ready to wrap up this episode of Zilch. It was a little bit on the long end, but I loved everything that we had today. And I hope people were really excited to kind of this deep dive into the TV side of things. What do you have planned for next time? Well, we've got another color cast commentary in the bag and ready to go. It's The Prince and the Paupers. And I believe that we have in conjunction with that color cast commentary an interview that Jeff Geringer did with someone incredibly special. One of the most amazing people I think we'll ever have had or ever will have as a guest on Zilch. Yeah, I am really amazed that this one happened. But, you know, Jeff just, I, I don't know how he does it. I think he just kind of wanders around LA and finds these awesome people and 
for some reason they're willing to talk to our little podcast. So this is a really a special one. I was not sure I ever expected this to happen, but this person has some great little stories to tell, and I think everybody's going to get a kick out of it. Fair disclosure, neither Sarah nor I have actually heard this interview yet. We just know who it is. We know who it is, and you guys are going to enjoy. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap things up. Indeed. Consider it wrapped. Consider it wrapped. Yes. (laughs) See y'all next time. Bye. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. Now on America's Top Ten, my update on the monkeys, the supergroup who were invented for television. Here we come. At the peak of Beatlemania, hundreds of young men saw a casting notice in a Hollywood trade paper. Four were chosen. Michael Nesmith, Peter Tork, Mickey Dolenz, and Davy Jones, the monkeys. Their TV show was a smash, and in less than two years, their records hit the top 40 11 times. Six of those singles were top tens, and three of those were number one. Their first four albums all hit number one. It was a great two years for the monkeys. But two years was all it lasted. After the summer of 68, they never made the top 40 again. And by 1970, the monkeys were no more. So where are the boys now? Mickey, Michael, Peter, and Davy. And what are they doing? Well, Peter Tork has continued performing as a musician. Peter lives in Southern California, has worked as a singing waiter, and taught music. He's 38 now. Since last year, Peter's been touring the U.S. with his backup band, Cottonmouth. Now, Mickey Dolenz, since the demise of the Monkees, has acted on a lot of TV shows, some commercials, and a couple of movies. In 1975, Mickey got back together with Davy Jones, plus songwriters Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, and they toured as Dolenz, Jones, Boyce, and Hart, singing the old Monkey hits. In England, Mickey co-starred with Davy in Harry Nielsen's play, The Point. Mickey is 35 years old now. His buddy, Davy Jones, grew up in England and also began an acting career very early and was very successful. After the Monkees, Davy continued doing it all, acting, recording, and doing concerts. Davy's 34 now. Last year, he toured the U.S. with his band, Toast, and now he's touring England. Which brings us to the fourth and tallest member of the Monkees, Michael Nesmith. He left Dallas for Hollywood to play rock and roll. That ad that he answered made him an instant star. And it was fun for a while. But it seems that Michael was glad when it ended, so he could get back to writing his songs, one of which was Linda Ronstadt's classic hit, Different Drum. Michael is 37 now, runs his own record company, and has the freedom to experiment and try new things. And that's our update on the Monkees. Peter Tork, Mickey Dolenz, Davy Jones, and Michael Nesmith. (laughs) 